Hello and welcome to Talking Triple Crown, part of the Kickout 299 Network. I'm Jessie, whose pronouns are she, her. I'm Rachel, my pronouns are they, them. And I'm Alicia, my pronouns are she, her. 29 tag league matches, 17 junior battle of glory matches over eight days, and we watched them all. It's a big show, so let's get into it. Before we start, yesterday it was announced that Jake Lee, Tajiri and Izanagi will leave All Japan at the end of the year. This is huge news and we will discuss it, but before we discuss that, we have to go over eight days of the tour. Day one was on the 13th at Korokan Hall. Dan Tamara defeated Ryu Inoue in five minutes and 23 seconds. And I thought this was great, but can we please talk about Kickboy Inoue? Oh, yes. <laughs> he has new kick pads. It's such a small thing, but it adds so much to his character and his look. It's great. Apparently, he changed his style after a meeting with Kawada. And thank you, Kawada, so much for that. I said before that I love the Dan Inoue matches, and this was another great one. Dan gives him a lot, and both men look good, and it was a great way to kick off the junior tournament. Yeah, big agree with everything Jesse is saying. Inoue has been meeting with Kawada at his ramen restaurant for actually quite a while. It's been happening for a few months now. It's just that it's become very obvious that uh, there's, you know, a little bit more than just um, hanging out with a senior, right? At these, <laughs> at these, uh, at these little meetings that they're having at the at the ramen shop. Um, it seems like he is genuinely um, getting some advice from Kawada, and it certainly influenced his style. Certainly, um, the aesthetics of the uh, the kick pad. So. Yeah, this is um this is a great little match for all the reasons Jesse has said. We're gonna talk more, but anyway, as we get through each day, but he is uh genuinely one of the uh the stars of this tournament. We can just kind of say off the top, anything he does with Dan is is really fantastic. But this was a great way to open up uh Junior Battle of Glory. Yeah, I've I agree with all these sentiments. It was just very um incredible how a little thing like the kick pads and then um bringing out the moveset and just the the kicks in the moveset just completely it didn't change his character at all but it brought so much life to him and made him feel so much more elevated than just you know a young boy and he feels like a contender in the uh junior division now like he really does he didn't feel like a um thrown in pin eater which we will talk about later in the uh, tournament as well but it was just really exciting to see that and just come out right off the gate from this first match and he and Dan just had a really good chemistry it was it was a very exciting I guess re-debut debut of sorts of uh the current in a way as we know him and probably something to be said for how quickly he has been able to introduce some of the kick pads to his to his overall appearance and his his ring wear because usually it takes them a little bit of time to add those things to what they're able to bring out to the ring with them so it really shows you the type of year Inoue has had and that's certainly something that we can't overlook. Rising Haito defeated Hokuto Amore in six minutes and eight seconds. Haito has a new finisher a top rope lion salt called Sid Vicious. He debuted it on the day and it honestly looks beautiful the only problem I had with it is that he kind of landed on Amari's face and it made me grab my own face. It was a bit scary. Other than that, this match was great. And my last note is that Hayato looked very pretty this day. 
Yeah, that's actually a pretty good note to put down. It's something that me and Rachel frequently note to each other. But no, I completely agree. This was a great match. Hayato and Amori are a pairing that I love. I get excited when we get to see them in the ring together. They just have a fantastic chemistry. I know that we like to see Hayato going up against Atsuki, but I think that you know, there's a, a sub rivalry, right, between Hayato and Amori. And they're just a, a pairing that I love to see. And this was another just great way to start this tournament. Yeah, both wrestlers looked absolutely phenomenal. Um, talk about people who just look like stars for the junior division. They worked really, really well together. They have worked well together for quite some time now. But yeah, it's it was just a really solid match. So that's, it's definitely one of my, I think it was probably my favorite of the day looking back at it I'm pretty sure it was but yeah it's it's a good one Hikaru Sato defeated Aski Onyagi in nine minutes and 54 seconds I should mention I should have mentioned at the start of the show these junior matches have a 10 minute time limit so Aski just had to hang on for six more seconds and it would have gone to a draw this was just so good I loved it the juniors smashed on day one Hikaru catching Aski mid flips with his armbar was fantastic I just wish the time limit wasn't there I wanted more from this Alternatively, I think that the time limit made these matches that much more compelling because they had to go up against the clock. And that's why the end of this match was so thrilling. Because again, like you said, if Oski had held on for just six more seconds, they would have gone to a draw. And that's Mm -hmm. really interesting. But no, I, I, I think that the time limit helped. I think it made actually for more competitive and exciting matches. And it kept the tournament always feeling sort of fresh comparatively I think the heavyweights um sort of struggled during this this uh, real world tag league tournament in a way that I can't remember a tag league struggling and we're going to get to that as we continue mm-hmm. to chat through this uh this tour but I do think the time limit helped these junior matches and made them a little bit more compelling and this was really really a good match Sato and Atsuki are a um, pairing that we've talked about all year because they have been quite important and there is something that is very important to Atsuki being able to um, definitively defeat Sato, right? And we they keep kind of revolving around each other. And it was really, really nice to see this and to see kind of where we might be going. And Sato just is so good at catching people um, with those arm bars. And just to see him catch Atsuki from that moonsault was just so deeply cool. I mean, like there's just fewer spots cooler than that. So yeah, definitely a highlight of this day for me. Yeah, not trying to spoil anything, but I thought that this uh, this match was a, just a really good setup for any future encounter that they might have. It was just a really tense, like the finish was just so tense. Uh, I, I definitely thought it was going to go to a draw. I definitely thought we would have a little story with Otsuki being like too stubborn and having too much fighting spirit. And no, he just couldn't hang on for those last six seconds. It was, it was really, really good. Yeah, I thought that just as far as uh, utilizing that time limit gimmick that we had for this tournament this this match really really shined on that end and set up for a really exciting future encounter where we can get more further than those 10 minutes and I thought that was I thought it was genius I thought it was a really brilliant little match I do want to say I do like the time limit but these juniors were so good this tour that I just wanted more like don't limit them to 10 minutes limit the heavyweights to 10 minutes they yeah, were the give, bad ones this tour. give the juniors like 15 <laughs> maybe 20. <laughs> I do think that at one point maybe Wada should have been the one to come out and sort of punish the heavyweights and tell them that they now have the 10 minute 
uh, limit and <laughs> switch it all. Yeah. And the juniors get to have, you know, whatever, like whatever the limit would have been for that, which would have been more than 10 minutes because it's 30 minutes for them. Yeah. 30 minutes 30 for them. Minutes. Yeah. They, they didn't deserve it. Um, <laughs> so there, there was one team that deserved it. And that's, you know, we'll talk about that as, as we come up upon them, but no, the, the, the juniors to Jesse's point were, uh, outstanding and there's no shortage of fantastic matches to check out from junior battle of glory. Next up, we had announcements for AJPW Christmas Mania. Team 200KG, Yu and Chihiri Hashimoto were announced as Suji Ishikawa's partner. From New Japan, Sonata, Bushi, Yoshinobu Karanamaru, Taichi, Yuji Nagata, Toriyano, and all our favorite young lions will be there. Naya Nomura will be on the card as well as Kaz Hayashi from Gleet. This is so exciting. It's like I booked it in some ways. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually most excited for that Young Lion match. I was, I clapped when I saw that again. <laughs> and, and as we go through the tour and they actually like showed the match at the end, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that again. I was, I was just absolutely so stoked to see this match and um, I'm, I'm really excited to get it because I love, I love anything with the Young Lions or, mm-hmm. you know, like Dojo Boys versus each other. So uh, seeing that and, and renewing some old feuds from earlier this year is just mm-hmm. rubs my little paws together. I'm very excited. Uncle Nobu's coming. It's yes. going to be a good show. Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi defeated Jun Saito and Rei Saito by DQ in nine minutes. First off, Taru, can you just leave? Can you just never come back? Please just fuck off. I asked on Twitter after this match if anybody wants to take my place for talking triple crown so I don't have to review these matches. No one, no one accepted. Nobody wanted my offer. But yeah, I sat through it. I watched it all just for you. You're <laughs> stuck with us. Sorry. Um, and you're stuck going through these matches, which I, I really watched this and was like, I am in purgatory. Um, and I didn't, I didn't actually know just how bad it could have gotten um at this point so it's it's interesting to look through my notes and sort of sort of uh, go through but yeah this this match had very very little going for it that's all I'm really gonna say on that one I have some thoughts oh yeah I have uh Wada related thoughts actually so the one highlight of this match is that Wada throws it out right because the shenanigans reach a fever pitch and he throws it out which is what you should do but the thing that fucking blows my mind about and we'll we'll continue to touch on this because this shit only gets worse as we get through the tournament it doesn't make any sense in a tournament based on points to have someone on the outside your man on the outside causing problems that gets your match thrown out because now you fucked your points so that's the thing that like just really blew my mind about about this because it's like what is the point of having Taru running interference for you if you're not going to get any points out of it because the ref is doing what he should be doing and throwing your match out that's the thing that like that's where logic just sort of like just completely falls apart for me on this like it's a tournament based on points if you want to win you've got to have the most points right to get to the end so that's where this just really started to immediately like send up red flags of like this is going to get ridiculous fast yeah, and that's a good point because it's then you can't book your heel tag team to be a spoiler, really, because if they get DQ'd out, then the other team gets those points. So it's it's not like having this interference actually does anything other than get the heel team zero points in the end. So yeah, that that is actually a really, really good point. 
it, there really is no narrative purpose to that. And this is like, unfortunately, Wada is usually the one who holds these voodoo murders matches together and is not compromised by the nonsense. Unfortunately, he gets compromised by the nonsense throughout the rest of the tour. So after this, you see less of that, of Wada taking the decision to throw out a match. And that's a shame because it really, you can feel like the effect of how much this, the constant interference and the way they use both voodoo murders teams to, to what end in this tournament, you can feel the effect of that throughout the entire tournament. And like, (sighs) this is only the first match and I'm already frustrated, but, (laughs) um, every ref got compromised by these shenanigans in a tournament where there is no benefit to that kind of heel interference over and over and over and over again. And it was logic breaking for me. And it just really set a tone early on. I also want to mention, if you haven't seen it, the interference is just mind boggling. Like, why did they do it this way? The referee's not down at this point. Taru walks in the ring. He's not even on the outside anymore. He's in the ring and throws a powder in, I forgot whose face it was, if it was Doi or Kuma, but he, he does it in full view of the referee. And it's just, why? Why did they do that? This happens the whole tour. Like, it, like it's all completely logic breaking. Like you can't separate it from from it just it, there's just nothing there's just nothing appealing about it it's not good heel work it's not it's not effective it just sets it, like i said it sets a tone with the first match <laughs> the very first match it sets a tone let's move on to a better match <laughs> this was a better match yuji nagata and yuma anzai defeated shotaro shino and ruki honda in 12 minutes and 47 seconds and oh my gosh the blood coming out of honda's freak finger cut was insane mm-hmm. i replayed that spot so many times when anzai <coughs> dropped with him and i can't uh pinpoint the moment where that cut happened or even how that cut happened um there is blood everywhere if you're not a fan of blood i would say don't watch this match but other than that, I thought this was great. Pissed off veteran versus Goa has worked really well this year and it worked well here. And in just his seventh match, Anzai did great. He really is the super rookie. If you have enjoyed the sort of Ashino and Nagata story intention, that carries over into this. And it's great for that reason. This is definitely one of the, I think, strongest Nagata and Anzai matches. And I think Honda is, you know, I've, I've talked about him all year. Um, I think so highly of him, but I think that the work he does in this match is excellent as well. But that freak cut was so, so strange. And yet, if you don't mind blood is actually extremely <laughs> cool looking. Um, so if you don't mind it, definitely watch it because it's, um, this was definitely, I think the, um, one of the highlights of the day for sure. Yeah. Honda made the most of that. <laughs> he was, he looked really, um, he looked really badass. <laughs> he looked like everyone looked really cool with the, with the little extra blood, uh, little extra blood. It was a lot of blood. <laughs> it, was, it was way more blood than, than a hand injury you'd expect. But yeah, no, I, I think Honda's strength is a lot of times like his, his character work and also his ability to sort of, um, adapt and move and still feel within character. And you got to see that a lot here. And, um, you, you got to see, there's, there's just a lot, um, obviously Nagata and Ashino's 
sort of storyline feud is is just really great and I really really do hope that we're able to get back to that when Ashino returns I have a lot of thoughts about that one and then of course Anzai just exuded confidence it's it's crazy like you said seven matches and I actually had lost count I didn't realize we were only at seven um but seven matches in is just wow um yeah no he he did really well and and we'll definitely get more into him as well Suji Ishikawa and Cyrus defeated Jake Lee and Yuma Aoyagi in 11 minutes. This was a pretty fun match and also our first look at the Cyrus and Suji team. I thought they were a good team. They get better as the tour goes on. But they were good in this match. Now, what I really want to talk about is I do love the team of Jake and Yuma. This was written before I knew Jake was leaving. I didn't correct this. But I do have a problem that Yuma is stuck in the same position that he was when he was team with Kento which is the pin taker and someone who is in their partner's shadow. I do believe in Jake and Yuma's partnership when it comes to the leader is more even than it was with Kento and Yuma. But I'm hoping for the day where Yuma steps out from everybody's shadow because right now he's behind Suwama and Kento. And when Jake was there, he was behind Jake as well. So I'm just hoping for the day where Yuma steps out of the shadow and stays out of the shadow. I think that's a really great point, Jesse. And, you know, we've talked about in other episodes Yuma's ear, right? And I think this will be an interesting conversation to get into when we have Captain Lou on in the next episode to our year ender for talking Triple Crown. Yuma's had an interesting year because he started out with sort of like one of the highest highs you can get in the year, right? With All Japan and winning Champion Carnival being the youngest Champion Carnival winner. And that was pretty much the peak for Yuma. So he peaked very early. And then we've watched him sort of struggle, I think, to kind of find his footing again for the rest of the year. And there's so much to be said for, we all thought that there was a good chance that Jake and Yuma would win this tournament, right? And we're going to talk as we continue to go through these matches, the general kind of thought process of what was happening with this team throughout. I have a lot of thoughts about that, but it's crazy actually to reflect too on how much press this team got coming into November from Samurai, from Chu Pro, from other vehicles and venues too. They were in the um, All Japan program. There's a huge interview with, with the two of them, him and Yuma and Jake. Irregardless, I do agree with you. I think it's interesting because it's it's difficult for Yuma in this partnership, even though it's much more even, to find his footing and not be the pin taker, not be the number two guy at all times. I actually also found myself throughout this tournament saying to Rachel that while I really like Jake and Yuma working together, it actually did make me miss Yuma working with Kento because that's a different level of tag team than other tag teams with Yuma. So it's, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot to be said. And I think that there's a lot to be said about sort of the tone of this tournament that I think makes more sense now that we know what we know on the eighth, what we didn't know when this tournament started. Um, But no, I think that's a really good point. When it comes to this match itself, I agree with you. I, I remember thinking that it was fun. I know they tried some like tag team maneuvers with each other that I liked, but I was interested to see them do more of that with other tag teams, with people that weren't Shuji and Cyrus. I noted how much comedy was in this match and thought, well, maybe that's just going to be with someone like Shuji and Cyrus where that feels like it makes sense. And it'll be interesting to see if that carries over into other matches. And I'll explain my concern with that later. But no, this was definitely interesting because it really is like a good first look at both teams but I agree with you too that Cyrus and Shuji did really well um, and that they certainly do improve as uh, the tournament goes on because they end up winding up with like one of my favorite matches of the tournament so 
definitely a good team. Suama and Kono defeated Kento Mihara and Takuya Nomura in 16 minutes and 43 seconds. Before we get started on the match, the Kento Nomura team started off with Kento trying to be best friends forever with Nomura, who was having none of it. Kento followed Nomura on Twitter, was asking him to follow back, even asking his fans to help. At the press conference, Kento tried to hug his tag partner and was met with a slap. And weirdly, slapping would become a part of their entrance, and it was perfect. They do the Kento clap, and then Nomura slaps Kento, and Kento slaps Nomura. It's just the weirdest thing, but it's, it's just great. It's so fun to watch. This match was better than I thought it would be. I think Nomura has found the way to motivate Kento, and that's to play to his ego and get the crowd to uh, clap for him. For a somewhat dysfunctional team, they worked really well together. They debuted their double team move called the Follow Back, which is a blackout knee strike by Kento and a PK by Nomura, done at the same time. This, um, we'll talk about it more as we get through the tournament too, but the story of Mia Ken and Takia and how they work together is easily probably the highlight of the tournament for me. <laughs> this was, it was interesting to see them get to work together here and they dragged Suwama and Kono to one of two good matches Suwama yeah. and Kono were going to have on this tournament. So you know what? That alone, you deserve a prize for that. So that's good. This match was was good. And this was to, I think, the I remember tweeting this. This was to the standard of what we would consider like a, a real world tag league match. And this is on day one, I still felt like, all right, like we we got, I think, one, maybe two solid matches that felt like real world tag league matches. I would say this and probably um, Nagata Anzai and Gunier of Anarchy would be matches of that caliber. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, like, it doesn't surprise me in a lot of ways that Suama and Kono um, showed up for um, Kento and then for obviously Takuya, but these guys work together really well. I really, really love uh, Takuya when he's up against Suama. That's something that's always good to see coming off of that really good match that they had back in champion carnival this year. And then Kento and Suwama are always going to show up in some way, I think, when they're in front of each other. So there's that. But yeah, so it's a good match. It's a very solid match to see you to end day one effectively. Yeah, I also wrote down that this was one of two good uh, Suwama Kono matches. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It, it was good. It was, uh, we're going to talk about this a lot, but Kento, uh, Mia Kento Takia really blend comedy and like hard hitting good wrestling together really seamlessly they they do a really really good job sort of putting together this story and this was your first uh chapter in that sort of story you get to see um, them kind of figuring out their dynamic and you get to see the follow back uh unveil debuted and uh so so there was a lot of uh fun stuff here and yeah I, I like this match. This was, like I said, one of the one of the better matches. Day two was on the 16th at Shinkiba. Takao Omori defeated Maso Inoue in 8 minutes and 10 seconds. All Asia tag team title match was next. Yoshitatsu and Tajiri defeated Black Manso Rei and Izanagi in 9 minutes and 37 seconds. Asuki Oyagi defeated Ryu Inoue in 5 minutes and 29 seconds. And I thought this was so freaking good. I absolutely love this match. Inoue carried himself like a pro and looked so much more confident in the ring. Him changing to more of a kick-based offense style really suits him just so much. Asuki was great, but the crowd was firmly behind Inoue the whole match. I just want to see more of this new Inoue. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it was so cool to see the crowd getting behind Inoue. That was really spectacular. 
there was a drop kick from Inoue to Oski um, in particular that got the crowd just like popping. And that was like super cool. We're going to keep repeating it, but like Inoue and these kicks, I think he's just remarkable for how quickly he can learn something and how quickly he, he manages to make that skill look just like something he's been doing effortlessly his entire life. And you start to see that as the tournament goes on, just how sharp and crisp those quick, those kicks are and how much better they look even over the course of the tournament. He just picks up on, on these skills and these skill sets so effortlessly. He really is um, such a talent. It's, it's remarkable. I, I think that Anzai being the heavyweight and um, his background, his pedigree, he will get a lot of attention because of that and because you know there's that connection to Suwama but I love that Inoue is making it impossible for you to forget him in the shuffle of that by elevating himself now um and, and changing his look and, and adding these kicks in I just think that he is um just absolutely remarkable yeah I want to see and I'm sure you guys feel the same but I I really want to see Inoue challenge Atsuki for the title just like have a have a good little Atsuki defense in it I think that would be really really um, good really fascinating to see and it's good to note that this is this was a cheering show and you could definitely sort of get a good handle on who is you know who's over who's popular and in a way got up there very very quickly the crowd is always going to be really excited for um, young guys and they're always going to root for them that's just sort of how Japanese wrestling tends to be but you could really see um, sort of this transformation in, in a way and, and how the crowd is immediately immediately responding to it so that's it's just something that really um, just really adds something to the this short little match and it's it's a banger it's good it's got a lot of good stuff going on and um, I was surprised actually I had to go look to see if in a way had like a, a martial arts kick background um, that he was hiding from us this whole time uh, just because of how effortless he looked but yeah it's, it's just incredible. Then Tamara defeated Hikaru Sato in nine minutes and five seconds. I'm a huge fan of tag team partners going one-on-one because I feel like sometimes they go a little bit harder than they would with facing someone else and I thought they did here. I really like this match it was one of the matches I was looking forward to, and I think it delivered. The only thing is Dan needs new gear. In every single match, he has to fix it up multiple times, and it's just getting to me now. I agree with you. I think he probably does need new gear because he does end up fixing the gear a lot, and it is kind of distracting. But this was, I thought, a very good match, very solid match. I do like when Dan goes up against Sato in anything. They had a great final exchange in this one, too, that really, I think, elevated this match. So, yeah, just Super solid, super dependable match. Jake Lee, Yuma Aoyagi in Hokuto Amore, defeated Kento Miyahara, Ryzen Haito, and Oji Shiba in 13 minutes and 31 seconds. I was trying to stick to reviewing only tournament matches, but because this was just so chaotic, I have to talk about it. My cheeks were hurting because I was smiling so much during this match. I just could not stop smiling. Jake and Kento getting dual chance for the first time in years really got to me. I was getting emotional at that. Kento yelling at the fans to shut up because they were cheering from Jake was just hilarious. (laughs) This was just an over-the-top six-man tag ramped up by the fans cheering, and it was everything. Yeah, this match to me is what All Japan is, like modern-day All Japan shines on. We've talked about it all year, how these uh, house show six-mans are just the bread and butter of a lot of the vibe and excitement of All Japan. And it's, it's what I've sort of came into because I am, you know, probably the newest fan 
on this podcast. And um, this is sort of what got me into the promotion was at the beginning of the year, there was a really good six man. And so seeing this and seeing this with crowd reaction and seeing Kento be just extremely normal about all the crowd reactions and just, just so, so very, uh, so very stable and, and normal and calm about everybody being extremely popular. Um, no, he, it was, it was just great. It was really fun. I, um, really enjoy seeing Oji Shiba with next stream. He's kind of gelled in pretty well and they're really fun with him. They like to, I mean, Kento, especially Kento's great with all of his partners, but, um, it was, it was just a really fun little, um, fun little match. We got to see a lot of good, uh, Jake, a lot of really good Jake in this match as well. Yuma tried to kill Oji. He did. <laughs> it was loud. It was so bad that like whatever, because we couldn't see all the action on that for a second because like of whatever was happening, it was so loud and so bad that like Jake and I think it was Hayato had to stop what they were doing in the ring, like of actual wrestling to allow whatever the fuck was happening on the other side of the ring with Yuma just torturing Oji and Kento pursuing them. Loved that. And I had a note in here that I think is important to say. I've been waiting and, lo- and monitoring this and waiting to be proven wrong, but I like that I haven't been proven wrong yet. Kento has not once undermined Hayato in this new gimmick since Hayato made the change. And even in this match where like it was chaotic and silly and everyone is just losing their minds, um, he will not undermine Hayato at all in the way that he used to. Because if we remember from like, this year and describing other matches, like he'll kick Hayato right off the top of the, um, the ring post and like be really mean to him. And then like, we had all that stuff from Royal road where he like faked Hayato out and like with that whole angle with Taru and like, he was like, not nice to, um, Hayato at times. He was very mean and like kind of bullying to him. But since Hayato has made this gimmick change, he does not do this anymore. He lets Hayato take full like center stage in this new gimmick. And that's so important and so critical because this is a gimmick. And I think it was actually Captain Lou who made this point in one of his reviews. This is a gimmick that would probably be better suited to something like Dragon Gate than it would be to All Japan, which is still a little bit more traditional. However, All Japan fans have really embraced this. And Hayato is actually more over, I think, now than he's ever been um, because of this gimmick change. But if you had Kendo still kicking him off the ring apron and just being really mean to him and kind of bullying, that would sort of undermine him in this new and very different for All Japan gimmick. But he won't do that. He gives Hayato the space to really thrive in this gimmick. And it's important. It just shows that um, Kendo is willing to let let him get over in this gimmick. And I just, I love that he has not once undermined Hayato since this gimmick change happened. And um, you got to see that in this match as well, because he just gives Hayato such wide berth to, to be in this gimmick and not undermine him. And um, I thought that was very noteworthy. It's a really good point. Oh, and they did the paradise lock in this. Oh yeah, they did. They really, really bring home all of the uh, raw chaos and comedy that this match uh, match had that we had to have the paradise lock. That's just how extreme it was. But it's, it's really good. It's fun. Everybody got all excited on Twitter, especially like Japanese fan Twitter from All Japan because people are like, oh, like Sonata will this lead to something between Jake and Sonata. And it's it's interesting now on December 8th. 
um, <laughs> to reflect on that. One of the answers to my question, to one of our questions. <laughs> um, it's interesting now to reflect on that, but certainly we'll see. <laughs> it's, uh, we'll see. Sushi Ishikawa and Cyrus versus Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi ended in a count out at 12 minutes and 50 seconds. I didn't like the counter at all, but I did like Doi and Kuma doing the yell shout thing and having the fans join in with them. I thought that was adorable and probably the only good thing from the match. June Sato and Rei Sato defeated Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai in 12 minutes and 5 seconds. The crowd loves Anzai. They didn't stop shouting for him the entire match. He is so <laughs> over. After the match, the Satos kept up the attack on Nagata and Anzai until Goa ran down to the ring, hit a spear and a suplex and sent them out of the ring. Swam and Kona ran to the ring and that's how the next match started. I didn't have a ton of notes on this, but Anzai as always is very impressive. Shoto Ishino and Ruki Honda defeated Swama and Kono in 14 minutes and 54 seconds. I thought this was a feel-good story for the Goa pair. There was a lot of interference with the Satos and the Goa juniors at ringside getting involved as well. The booing directed to Voodoo Murders was like music to my ears. I love that. I do want to point out the ref bump because he really bumped. He bounced off the ring um, pad post like it was a trampoline. I felt bad for him, but it was just so funny. I couldn't help but laugh. There was a moment before the ending where Suwama hit a lariat and it damn near took Ashino's head off. I thought, okay, that's it. He's dead. This was beautiful. Ashino taps out Suwama and closes the show, which is what everyone loves to see. I did like this match, but I also had a few complaints, I suppose. I did love that Honda came out pretty hot to fuck Kono up. That was pretty awesome good energy there he's had it out for Kono for a long time so I think that was good love that energy this is going to come up often but the Saitos being out there for every fucking Suwama and Kono match to slow down an otherwise potentially very good match was so irritating to me because it just doesn't allow wrestling to really take off and there's no reason why we couldn't have seen a much better Suwama and Kono versus Gunier of Anarchy match given how much is left between Suwama and Ashino, you know, especially. There's no reason why we couldn't have seen an even better match, but you have the Saito brothers out there running the slowest and most ridiculous interference that isn't good and isn't interesting. So that's just extremely frustrating um, to me. I had written down, like, why do you need this outside interference from the Saito brothers when Suwama can just kick Honda in the head and make the crowd lose their minds? Because that's what happened. You don't need that outside interference when Suwama say what you want about him, is very, very good at being this specific type of heel. He doesn't actually need the outside interference from the Saito brothers. So that was very irritating to me in particular. But when they actually could wrestle without the Saito brothers being super frustrating, this shit kind of rocked. Like the like Jesse kind of alluded to it, but Gunier of Anarchy have like this great baby face energy. So this really like made the match like feel great at points. Um, and that ankle lock sequence with Ashino and Suwama was just very good. And Ashino deserved after everything this year to get that tap. Um, so yeah, it was a good main event aside from the Saito brothers shit, which just becomes even more grating over time. Yeah, the uh, I had written down the ankle lock sequence that popped me really, really hard. And then uh, Suwama threw some great lariats. There was some really, just really, really good stuff, um, really hard-hitting stuff um, peppered into this match because like you said uh, the Saito sort of slowed everything down. Uh, Captain Lou actually brought up that a lot of what brought this match out was actually the booing 
from the crowd and that you know sort of that was kind of what was missing from voodoo murders this whole time and i i have to agree and i actually note this and put wrote the, write the sound throughout the tours that um i think i would enjoy voodoo murders matches more if i were live in the crowd and able to boo and able to you know like give the thumbs down and get engaged and, and excited at them sort of wandering around and, and causing chaos and and when you're sort of steeped in that chaos, it's a little different than when you're watching it on the screen on your couch. Because when I'm watching it on the screen on the couch, I'm I'm really impatient and and really wish that there was like a 10 seconds forward button on uh, AJPW's player. And the, I, like I I would literally sometimes hit the fast forward arrow and nothing would happen. Uh, but this match was okay um, for that, but. Um, yeah, Ashino and Honda looked amazing. They looked amazing and um, really were just incredible baby faces. And I thought this this match ended really well. The ending was was exactly what I would wa- wanted. Day three was on the 19th at Sanrei Kitakame. Shoto Ashino and Ruki Honda defeated Ryu Inoue and Hikaru Sato in just under seven minutes. Jun Sato and Rei Sato defeated Askiyaki and Hokuto Omari in nine minutes and 10 seconds. Dan Tamara defeated Rising Hayato in eight and a half minutes. The height Hayato gets on his top rope splashes to the outside was amazing. I watched it several times, actually. I thought it was just so great. Both men was good. This match just cements to me that I still see Dan as like a mini Sawama or like Sawama light with his lariats because they're just getting better and better. And I don't know if something's going to happen to ever change my mind on that. Is that a bad thing inherently yeah. for you? No, I don't think so at all. I'm just like... That's what I thought he was going to be, like when he, when Suama was in evolution, but now he's gone. I thought, okay, is he still going to take after Suama? Is he going to change a bit? But he hasn't. And I think it's great for Dan. It suits him. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I loved this match. I think this is actually probably one of my, I haven't really gone back to look at like how many of these I would say are like my, some of my favorites, but this one certainly would be. Dan and Hayato have such an incredible, just natural chemistry between them. There's just something about them that works incredibly well there was a lot of really really good spots in this um there's a lot of stuff that Hayato does in particular that in theory for me would come across as a little gimmicky but there's something about him in the way that he can kind of make these things work that and especially as he's evolved over this year they don't come across gimmicky to me anymore they just sort of work and they've become part of his style and they, they come across really well and the way he works with Dan in this match Dan really sells them well so that's why I think a lot of these things do work Dan had a great power slam on the apron too that just looked mm. fucking awesome so that stuff really looked great and like you said those fucking Larry it's awesome like Dan there's a lot of different people in the junior division that just have improved leaps and bounds since we sort of saw them at the beginning of the year and Dan is one of them and I think that we reflect back on some of our earlier episodes I remember being concerned that Dan spends way too much time hanging out with old men and he never gets to hang out with some of the some of his contemporaries and really show what he can do and what he has learned. But we're seeing, I think, a little bit more of the evolution of Dan in this tournament. And you see it in this match in particular. And I just can't say enough about this match in particular. I really like this one a lot. Yeah, I think you took it away. And um, I was also going to note throughout this tournament that it was nice to see Dan work with 
you know, a lot of the younger wrestlers, a lot of people his age and just what he can do with them. And and it really, really gave him a chance to shine. I mean, it really did. And we'll talk about that towards the end of the tour as well. But uh, yeah, you said it just absolute best. This match ruled. Takao Mori, Black Menso Ray and ATM defeated Yoshitatsu, Tajiri and Azawa number one in 11 minutes and 35 seconds. Kento Mihara and Takuya Nomura defeated Koji Do and Kuma Arashi in 16 minutes and 42 seconds. I had a high hopes for this since Tag League Finals last year between Next Dream and Doi and Kuma was so great, but I don't think it reached the same heights, but I thought it was still good. I really just, I think, reflected on Kento and Takuya's relationship at this point because I thought that Takuya was going to be a lot more Sundare with Kento based on what we saw at the press conference. And that's not what we were getting from them. Like they have this very easy and comfortable chemistry. And it's so obvious that they want to work together. It's just a matter of like them working out the kinks in these earlier matches together of how they get to do this. And like Rachel was saying before that um, very endearing blend of comedy, but also these very serious, hard-hitting wrestling spots that you can kind of depend on from the type of wrestling that Nomura is known for, but also the type of wrestling that Kento is known for. So it was just, this is, I think, just a kind of a, an interesting match for if you're very interested in sort of the evolution of that team, this is part of that, to be sure. And I thought that the match did pick up at the end. I wasn't really sure how I'd feel about it at first, but there were some really good scrambles in the closing minutes of the match that did make this like a pretty good match. Yeah, the the ending was definitely the highlight as far as uh, the match goes, but uh yeah, it, it's just good to see them uh, develop. And I also thought that uh, it would be more of a situation where Takia kind of felt like he was stuck with Kento, but that's not the case. That's That becomes very clear in the first match, but especially in this one, that he he wants to work with him, but they can't quite make it work perfectly. And we get to see that development. And that's just a really fun and special thing that really made this uh, made this tour work for them. Jake Lee and Yuma Ayagi versus Swam and Kono went to a double count out. Do you know what was great about this match? Nothing. Like absolutely nothing. <laughs> I hated this. We're not even halfway done and I'm already at my breaking point. I couldn't stand it. I even thought if this was any other company, I would consider stop watching because I just can't stand it. Yeah, I'm with you. This, this, this match disappointed the shit out of me. We had talked extensively going into this tournament about the opportunities they had around Jake and getting back in front of Suwama and Yuma too, getting him back in front of Suwama, right? Because that stuff never ends for him either. Obviously we know things on December 8th that we didn't know then. So a lot of that stuff is difficult to kind of parse through now. However, this match was just fucking pointless. I was, this match was messy and disjointed because of the brawling and the interference, right? Like there was just no getting around those two components. And there's a much, much better match to be had here because they're like weird little preview match they had before the tournament, I thought was better before it was like the Saito reveal, like when they joined VDM, that was much better before the Saito reveal than what we got here because whatever, but like, there's a much better match to be had here and we didn't fucking get it. I was also starting to get concerned about the comedy spots with Jake and Yuma because my, and granted, like we know now why they didn't win, but 
my thing is like, they don't feel like the team that's going to dethrone Suwama and Kono doing these very overt comedy spots. And the comedy, it's, the comedy doesn't land for me that well. To me, it just seems like it goes into an area where it's like a little bit too silly sometimes. And it doesn't land for me personally. I know that's like, you know, whatever I like on every episode, I talk about how much I love what Kento does with comedy. But I think that like how Kento balances comedy is like a very specific skill and very unique to him as a performer. I just don't enjoy necessarily what they were doing with Jake and Yuma and the comedy. So I was worried about the overall tone of the tag team and what that was going to look like for them as they navigated the rest of this tour. And as it became, you know, as we tried to figure out whether they would actually wind up going to the finals and potentially win or not. So those are things that came up for me while watching this fucking disaster of a match. Do you feel that, um, this, this question can go for both of you. Do you feel like the comedy didn't land as much because of Mia Kanentakia sort of doing something not similar, but blending that comedy and hard-hitting style so well? Do you feel that there was a comparison point, like maybe the comedy could have worked better for you if Mia Kanentakia weren't there? Kind of. Like, I think that I do tend to because what Kento can do with comedy on his own and then within like a tag team makes sense to me and lands with me. That is usually my comparison point. And I think that him and Takia did that so well in this tournament that inevitably that becomes the comparison point. But I also didn't feel this way about Kento and Yuma. And there's so many elements of comedy within that yeah. tag team as well, right? And that is not to disparage Yuma and Jake because there are still aspects of that partnership that I really love and really would have wanted them to explore more if Jake was not going to leave. But there was something about the balance here that was off, but I think we possibly know why the balance was off. It sort of is what it is. I don't, I don't really blame anyone for that personally, but Jesse, what do you think? I forgot on the comedy spots. I pushed this match out of my mind. I honestly can't remember. No one can blame you. There, there's a point I asked a question instead of actually talking about this match because this match was just dreadful. But um, felt like the brawling lasted forever. But uh, it yeah, stop. It was, yeah, it just would not <laughs> stop. No, uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I definitely feel the same though. I feel like um, because we have that comparison, the comedy felt a little more off, and and their tag team dynamic felt a little more off because you're watching one match after the other. And it just, it's, it couldn't be any more night and day. Suji Ishikawa and Saras defeated Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai in 13 minutes and 43 seconds. Hometown boy Suji got the win here. This match was pretty good. I think for me, it was the best tagging match of the day. Anzai's suplex to Suji were nice. And I liked the double team submission by him and Nagata. Suji always seems to give the younger guys a lot of room to move, especially in this match and Haito last month. He's like so generous with it. He just gives them, yep, if you want to do this move on me, you do it, but I'll do one back harder to you a bit later. That's a good way to describe it. But yeah, I agree with everything you said. I thought it was a really good effort from Cyrus and Shuji and, you know, just a solid match. It's just that I think at this point in the tournament, I was like, there's really nothing that has excited me. That has really gotten me like just stoked about tag league which is really weird because this is like usually the high point of the year for me it's usually my favorite thing that happens all year is real world tag league and at this point I was concerned that there was really nothing 
besides, and that's, you know, that's, we're talking about real world tag league, not junior battle of glory, which was its own really separate universe, but there had been nothing at this point that really got me excited and got me having that, like, just that feeling of being so excited to turn on an all Japan show, right. During this time of year. So yeah, just like a, like a, like a fine way to end this day, just not what I normally expect from this, this company and this tournament at this time of year. Yeah. I really like Shuji and Anzai's whole exchanges. I really want to see a singles match between them very badly. Um, I thought that was probably my biggest takeaway from this match is really all I have written down actually. Um, and so, yeah, I thought this match was fine. Uh, like I said, my, my big note there was that I really want to see Anzai work with Shuji a little bit more. And I think we're going to get that. So that's always exciting. Day four was on the 20th at Hotel Epinad Nasu. Yoshitatsu, Tajiri, and Askiyagi defeated Kao Mori, Black Menso Ray, and Dan Tamara in six and a half minutes. Rui Inoue defeated Hokuto Mori in three minutes and 35 seconds. And this is Inoue's first singles win of his career. I'm so happy for him. He deserves it. After what happened in the press conference between these two, I had a sneaky suspicion that this might be Inoue's best chance at winning. It wasn't the cleanest pin, but who cares? Because it was his first win. It's excusable to me. Yeah, I love this. I thought it was perfect. Anyways, picks are so crisp and fast. It just made sense to let him get a win. And, you know, at this point, Hakuto Omori still had zero points on the board, which is interesting. And we'll talk more about where he lands at the very end of the tournament. But no, I just, I think this made sense. And I think that it's really, really nice that in an outing like this, Inoue gets to have a win. I think that's great. A lot of other companies would not give a win to a rookie like this and it's really really cool that we kind of got the dual experiences of Inoue in uh JBOG if you will and then Anzai in Real World Tag League of how much these two get on these first major outings for them and I think that is just it bodes well for the future it's what you want to see a company doing for these two extremely young but extremely talented people that you want them to invest in at the first opportunity. Yeah. So Alicia messaged me, Hey, do you mind spoilers? I said, no. And she told me the result of this match. And I literally like bolted to my computer, like shot out of bed and and ran and and almost tripped over myself um, to watch this match. And I was, I was very excited. It's, it's just three whole minutes that you don't want to miss. I actually quoted in my notes, I quoted Captain Lou with a short, short match perverts get on this. Uh, because that's, that's how it is. If you love, if you love a good short blistering match, you, you want to watch it. Um, it really highlights just how good uh, in a way is he's really like he's got really good feisty like his character is coming along with these kicks you can sort of see him develop with that and I'm going to talk about that on the last day as well and it's just exciting it's it's fun they pulled the trigger on both him and Anzai like Alicia was saying at the right time and I just I, I love this match <laughs> it's, it's just it's a good little storytelling match um really good call from Jesse there showing up um how the press conference sort of added to that and alluded to it because I totally forgot about that as well so um it's really it's just exciting it's just fun to see and there's nothing like a first win pop um the the crowd was very excited you could just see it in the crowd I kept going back and replaying it so you definitely want to seek this out and apparently today is going to be a very Captain Wu heavy day but that's good so I will make sure to link 
Captain Lou's Twitter and where you can find his reviews in our show notes. Get you excited for our end of year where he's guesting. So Rising Hayato defeated Hikari Sato in six minutes and 52 seconds. These two worked really well together and got an enjoyable match out of it. I really like this match. Of course I did because it's a junior match. I want to see more out of these two. Yeah, it's nice. It was a really good match. And I think that it just shows you like uh, how many endless sort of possibilities that we have for the future coming off of this tournament. Like no matter who won, no matter what happens, there's just so many endless possibilities for this little like crop of juniors that we have. It was actually, I think, Des, who, when we were sort of messaging on Twitter, I forget what I had actually said on Twitter to warrant this conversation, but he made me remember that like this group of people are really like the core people in this tournament. Like there's not a ton of like, not not a ton of outsiders. I forgot that Toshizo isn't in this tournament. Like I forgot that all of those types of people aren't here. And this is really like our core juniors in all Japan. And so, yeah, like this was just a really good match and shows you like how much we can do with this junior division, which has sort of lacked and suffered in the immediate past. Um, It can, it just shows you how much is, how much is there and how much potential that we have. Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi defeated Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai in nine minutes and 46 seconds. I don't really have notes for this. I thought it was a nice little match. Anzai tapped out to the torture rack, which I was surprised by, but I like that they finally got a win with the torture rack because I do like that move. Yeah, I thought this was fine. You know, it's a real turnaround for Doi and Kuma who have had like the weirdest, slowest start to the tournament. So yeah, nothing, nothing super notable, at least in my opinion. Yeah, same. It was it was a match. It had a beginning, middle, and end. I didn't hate it. I thought it was fine. It was just nothing uh, super exciting. Jake Lee and Yuma Oyagi defeated Jun Saito and Rei Saito in 10 minutes. They finally get a win. Jake and Yuma are finally on the board. I'm surprised it took them this long. But one thing that I know that's happened during this entire tour is Rei's growling and loud breathing thing. I can't stand it. I hate it. It reminds me of something. I can't figure out what but I just can't stand it. My first note that I wrote down for this apparently was the Saito brothers have burned all their goodwill with me. (laughs) (laughs) Just I think speaks volumes. I did think that Jake had some good fire during this match, but like he had been teasing for a while, like this like intense tension with the Saito brothers because of the way the Saito brothers joined Voodoo Murders, which was at the expense of Yuma and Jake. So that I think makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I think there was like some good fire there. I thought that this was a was better in some ways than Suwama and Kono, especially as they approached the end. But my ultimate issue with this tournament and the way they booked the entire thing is that having two Voodoo Martyrs teams plus the Saito brothers interfering in the other team's matches was absolutely brutal, this tournament. Like just the worst possible booking decision and made so much of this unbearable in a way that I just don't think it needed to be unbearable. Like, I really don't think, I think there was a better way. I really do. But yeah. And this, I have notes here about Jake's uh, costume because it's where I started to panic that he was still in the fucking totally clips gear, but now we know why. So it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant, but that's where I started to really note that he's still in the totally clips gear. And it's weird that voodoo murders are all in black and red. And what are we going to do about that? Apparently not all that much. I did really like the gloves though. I really like the new, uh, the new gloves Red he gloves. has going on. Yeah, yeah, they're really cool. I'm really into them. So there, there is that. Um, and that's almost all I have to say on this match is, I mean, it was okay. I did like it way better 
than the uh, Sawamakono match. So um, I, I thought that it had at least a little bit more going on and, and the right team won, which I think is probably the reason I enjoyed it more. And I, I definitely thought at that time that it's like, okay, this is going to be the turnaround. This is, you know, they they finally sort of got their revenge as it were um, from when um, Jin and Ray uh, betrayed the roster and joined Voodoo Murders. So I was like, okay, this is when the babyface heroes are going to really, you know, snap into gear and, and win the whole thing. In the end, I'm not exactly sure how the math would have worked out, but in my head, it made sense. Uh, so, so I was pretty okay with this match. It's not what happened, but in at that time, I was okay with this match because it felt narratively solid. Suji Ishikawa and Cyrus defeated Suwama and Kono in 9 minutes and 23 seconds. And finally, the main unit acts like a unit and comes out to help their teammates. Jake and Yuma ran down after the Saitos came out. And Paul Wada, it was his birthday and for presence, he gets choked out by Suwama. I wrote the match was a waste. I think that's just kind of how I felt because to me, the match just should have been thrown out the moment Suwama RNC'd Wada because you interfered with the ref. So that's not going to happen. So just, I don't know, to me, like, to me, it just, it's whatever, you know, it's, it, it, I actually didn't even remember that main unit came out from the back to help to be honest with you I completely forgot I think I was just so annoyed with that match by the end of it that I just completely forgot but yeah just wasn't wasn't a fan of this yeah I wrote down this match is a nightmare um and that that was pretty much it yeah that's all I you you guys said it best it just didn't make much sense and it just didn't work for me Trish Hiroshino and Riki Honda defeated Kento Mihara and Takuya Nomura in 18 minutes and 43 seconds. I think this venue really suited Kento with the big lights and the chandelier. It was very him. And Ashino made Kento tap out so he very well could challenge for the Triple Crown. That was very noteworthy coming off of this match and just generally uh, Gunier of Anarchy's performance so far throughout this stage of the tournament, certainly. I loved... Shotaro and Kento have the most interesting chemistry. It's a good chemistry. I really like it. I wish that we saw more of them together in this way. I thought this was one of the better matches we had gotten on the tournament at that point, for sure. I really did like this one. I thought that um, Takia works really well with Ashino and Honda. So just in general, there was just a lot of really, really good chemistry in that ring. There was like this one point too where Honda started attacking Kento's arm when he got the rope break, which I thought was just like a really fun detail because Honda is is so on details like that when he's in the ring. Um, I love that. There's just always like this interesting tension and um, he just brings like fun details like that to light. But I just really liked it. I thought this was a really, really good match. Um, I could watch these guys have a few more singles and tag matches, no problem. And I thought in particular that Gunier of Anarchy were excellent. Yeah, both teams are fantastic. So there was no way this match wasn't going to go pretty hard. And I wasn't disappointed. I definitely think that Gunier of Anarchy, Goa were the stars of this match, which which felt right. And that felt like what should have been done. And uh, yeah, we're, I'm still excited, you know, given Ashino's injury. I'm still, even still, I'm excited for that return because it feels like it's going to be huge. And we'll talk about that with some of the questions later. But this feels like it's setting up for something so I'm fingers crossed I'm very excited. Day 5 was on the 23rd at Nagoya International Conference Center. Hikaru Sato defeated Ryu Inoue in 1 minute and 12 seconds. 
I know people didn't like this match, but I thought it was everything it had to be. I thought Inoue got a bit too big for his kick pads. A couple of shows ago, he was tagging with Sato and actually threw him out of the ring, even though they were tag team partners. This match really reminds you that even though Inoue got the win over Omori, that he's still a rookie and he has been wrestling for just under a year. And I think Sato took full advantage of that, tapped him out. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think I would have liked to see it go longer. But at the same time, I wasn't surprised because Sato is such a veteran compared to Rio anyway. So to me, it's like the least uh, surprising result that we got to see in Junior Battle of Glory. I thought that you got to see some really good instincts on Inoue during the scramble, which is always really nice to see. You can see him thinking, you can see the skill set at work there. And Sato is just exceptional at what he does best. So to me, the result and the timing um, is just not surprising. I I still thought it was good. Yeah, there's no way these two are done with each other at all. So this result didn't bother me at all. It's It felt like it was setting up for something in the same way that like Sato and Otsuki's uh, match from months and months and months ago in that house show felt like it was setting up for something. Sure, it wasn't, you know, a work rate spectacular, but it felt like it was setting up some... Um, really good little story where this rookie wants to step up to the veteran in the division. And that's always good. It's always exciting. And I love when a, and you know, Sato isn't old, but I love the structure of old man ruins young guys day. And this, this match sort of gave that to me in a very, very, very compact form. I thought it was fine. I thought it did what it was supposed to do. Just like you guys said. When I saw this match, the only thought in my head was like, Kick boy versus kick man. Yeah, that's that's it. That's what it is. It's a, a little bit of a, a shooter match in some ways, which is really fun. Dan Tamara defeated Hokuto Amara in six minutes and 46 seconds. Dan is aggressive here and I like it and I think it suits him. And this was another fun junior match. What more can I say? I thought this one was just a very solid match, very convincing win from Dan. And I thought that his stock had really risen with his performances in this tournament. Yeah, I at this point, I think is when I decided Dan was going to win the whole thing after I watched this. I, I didn't quite register that he hadn't lost yet. Uh, I don't know why that just didn't occur to me. It didn't occur to me until the very end. It didn't occur to me until <laughs> yeah. you said it. <laughs> yeah, it didn't occur to me. Um, but I guess it's just because I'm so used to him um, taking a taking a look in and keeping on ticking um, as he did in the Voodoo Murder storyline. It didn't occur to me just how much he's grown and, and sort of where he was in the power rankings. Uh, but yeah, it, it was definitely watching this match. I sort of decided like, okay, yeah, yeah. Dan is winning this whole thing. I think that makes the most sense to me and would be the most exciting outcome. And we, you know, we, we know where that got us now, but even still, I think um, ultimately this tournament in a lot of ways existed to elevate and highlight Dan and, and this match did a really good job. Hokuto did a really good job and uh, I, I like it. Those two have a very good sort of uh, style blend. Uh, they they have good little good little chemistry together, which I'm going to say about the whole tournament. J Bob did a really good job with that. Asuki Oyaki defeated Rising Haito in nine minutes and fifty one seconds. If there was a match I thought would end in a draw, I thought it would be this one. I just love these two wrestlers. They break my heart every time they wrestle. I just want so much for them. I love them so much. It's definitely going to be the junior feud that this division will be built around, but this match was just so good. 
It was like a mini version of their title match from October. I said it once, but I will say it again. Hayato has to be the one to end Asuki's reign. There is nobody else who should beat Asuki for the belt. And I hope it's what we were getting out of another loss here. Because like you, originally I was um, anticipating maybe they would go to a draw here, but they didn't. And I think it's actually probably a good thing because it does keep Hayato searching for that first big win over Atsuki at this stage of their careers and relationship with each other. So I hope that that's what we see. We see him get that big win when he defeats Atsuki for the junior belt. I think that would be obviously the most ideal scenario, but yeah, it's, like Jesse said, it's, it's a really good match. It's kind of like watching a mini version of the match we saw at the beginning of October, which is also excellent, but yeah, definitely not one to skip. It was really good. Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Hayato's kickouts are just crazy short, like you're crazy, like close to the, that 2.99, if you will, like there's a lot of tension here, but uh, yeah, I think that that loss um, and his reaction, especially his reaction on Twitter after that loss uh, to me sort of pointed towards him, you know, crawling up to Otsuki and, and climbing up and we might be getting a, I would not be surprised if we get a draw later on as um, Hayato begins to close the gap a little bit more and more and more, and then it will lead to a big victory. At least that's my hope. And that's sort of my, my fantasy booking in that situation um, and how I would book it, but you know, <laughs> that's out of my hands, but I think that's sort of how I see it going. So that's, that's the dream. Takao Amore, Tajiri, and Yoshitatsu defeated Suji Ishikawa, Cyrus, and Bakumanso Ray in seven minutes. Suwama and Kono defeated Jun Saito and Rei Saito in 10 minutes and 15 seconds. It was a voodoo murders versus voodoo murders. And I was looking forward to this match because it meant no voodoo murders crap in other matches. And Wada got his revenge. He's the one that choked out Suwama. It was so great to see. That was a good weird naked choke too. <laughs> What's your opinion on that? You you have a good uh, RNC radar, Alicia. I don't know about that, but I, I thought that, you know, Wada, Wada did well with the spot. I think that the whole thing is sort of ridiculous at this point. I thought this match was sloppy work to tepid applause. And Kono loves to stand in the ring and interfere and be frustrating in every match except for this one. So that's all I got. Unless Suwama was like winding up on a lariat, sloppy work. Shoshiro Ishino and Ruki Honda versus Jake Lee and Yuma Ayagi ended in a 30-minute draw. I love these two teams. I think they work well together, especially Yuma and Ishino. But after the 15-minute mark, I was thinking this has gone on too long. And it went the whole 30 minutes. I think I would have liked it more. If it was shorter, I know with like the points and everything, they have to have draws and losses and DQs and stuff, but it just went too long. Now, something serious to talk about from this match. Two days later, it was announced that Ashina has suffered a right shoulder injury and will miss the rest of the tournament. There was a spot in this match where Jake lifted Ashina up for a powerbomb and he landed awkwardly on his shoulder. Now, injuries happen all the time in wrestling. No one hopes to injure somebody. It was an accident. To blame Jake for this, is unfair and uncalled for. We don't know if Jake was the one who injured Ashino. We don't know what spot it was. It could be this. It could be something else. I will not say yes, that's a spot until someone comes out and says, yes, that is the spot. So don't blame Jake for this. It was not his fault. It's just one of those things that happen in wrestling. 
purposes. And also in the way that Japanese wrestling works, there's no one that's going to come out and confirm how the injury happened and yeah. who did what. It's also irrelevant. Uh, like Jesse said, no one intends to injure a colleague. I don't think that most people are qualified to make that call. So that's all I'll say about that. But yeah, Jesse, did you have anything to add about the match itself? It went too long. That's all I have to say. <laughs> okay. All right. I agree with you. I think that this, uh, I think this was a sentiment shared amongst many people as well. It did go too long. If it, if it was a little bit shorter, I think it would have really been an even better match, but I do think this actually was a very good match. I thought that the grappling at the start between Jake and Ashina was really good. I thought that Jake had some really good spider guard at the start of that. I was, I really like to see that. I like to see him work. Honda is just really cool at all times. I think that they played like, it's interesting to have the dynamics flipped in this match because you had Gunyar of Anarchy playing um, the heels against Yuma and Jake being the baby faces. And that you had that dynamic switch, which was really interesting, but Gunyar of Anarchy can do both so effectively. They're just so good and such a good team. And you have to reflect on where Honda was this time last year. You know, he's like right on the cusp of like his big breakout stuff. Right. So it's just remarkable to see where he's come in all this time as well. I thought Jake was very vocal in this match too. He had a ton to say about Gunnar of Anarchy bullying Yuma in this match. And like, that's what I like to see out of him. And that's where I think he has been very effective this year too. This ref in this match always drives me nuts because uh, he's always worried about everything that has nothing to do with the actual wrestling match, which just makes me insane, but whatever. There was some really, really great Jake and Ashino spots in this match. I was really happy with a lot of that stuff. And um, anyone that's been listening to us for any amount of time knows that that's been like something I've monitored very closely, but I was very happy with <laughs> what we got out of this tag match actually. But I had mentioned this on Twitter too, but tonally, this is what I really wanted from Jake and Yuma as a tag team. And what I wanted between like the chemistry between the teams, this is what I wanted too, from like Gunyar of Anarchy and then like Jake and like whoever he'd be um, teaming with, but like, especially Jake and Yuma, this is what I wanted. I wanted, you know, there to be like, I wanted Jake and Yuma to feel like a threat, to feel like a real team, to feel like they could like effectively uh, come up against some of these more established teams and defeat them. And they, they did, they felt like that in this match. They felt like a cohesive team in this match. And I think it came across, um, I thought the spider guard to get out of the ankle lock was a really cool sequence too. And just like, overall, this was a very enjoyable match. It's just very sad that there was an accident and it led to Ashino getting pulled from the tour. Yeah. You, you touched on the things I wanted to, um, touch on the most and things I wanted to ask you was how you felt about the, uh, the Jake and Ashino good shit baby yeah yeah I was I was very, very I actually wrote very down happy. I was like I bet I bet Alicia loves this um so I wanted to ask you about that so I'm, I'm happy to hear that that hit for you yeah if this if this match were like 15 to 20 minutes it would have probably been like a match of the year contender for me it was it had some really great moments but it needed to be sort of cut down condensed yeah, it was, it was good. And I think, oh, the other thing was um, that you touched on was that really wanted to see more of this Sukito Supan, um, Jake and Yuma dynamic going on, like not, not dynamic, but like that tone of being mm -hmm. able to sort of blend who they are and still come off as credible threats. Um, and that, that was the other thing I wanted to touch on because you could really feel that here. And I don't know if it's because of the match length that they sort of planned out to make it, you know, stretch out longer. So they had to come across as threats. I'm not sure. And, you know, there's no way to really tell that's sort of a peek behind the curtain. We're not privy to, but it's something I thought about. 
I think a lot of it has to do with who they were facing too, because yeah. their other really good match of the tournament is against Kento and mm. Takia Nomura. So they they brought their best work to the opponents that they were going to get like the most from. And I think that their opponents also brought them up a couple levels together too, right? I think there was like yeah, sort of for sure. like a mutual exchange there and how that worked for them. I would have liked to see that the whole time, but you know, sometimes people leave the company. It is what it is. <laughs> Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai defeated Kenta Miyahara and Sakuya Nomura in 20 minutes and 17 seconds. I know both of you have mentioned before that Kenta swears a lot in the ring. It's never really uh, clicked with me. Like, I've never really noticed that, but I did in this match. He was, like, swearing up a storm, and poor Anzai got all of it. My main takeaway from this is that I need Nagata and Nomura and Kenta Yuma in single matches. Like, I'm so looking forward to that. I thought Nagata and Nomura worked really well, and I was kind of surprised to see Nomura get the pin. But then again, it was Nagata who pinned him and Nagata's like a legend. So I don't think he minds with that. I love this match. I think the motherfucker count when I did it on Twitter (laughs) was three. I think he did three, which I think is actually kind of a lot for him. He called Anzai a motherfucker twice, which was really funny. (laughs) Um, Like Jesse was saying. It's like he's super exciting. Yeah, we're we're building building a feud there between the the future (laughs) ace and the current ace. (laughs) He does so like humans. I think that's delightful, personally. I love it. We also got a very audible, um, okay, let's go, baby, from him at the very start. Yes, that's right. Um, that's right. Wasn't his first one of the tour, but we got that one. Like, you could just very, like, clearly hear it. And I just, you know, it's one of his, like, little English fr- phrases that he likes. But, no, this was good. This was, um, I thought this was one of, like, Nagata's best showings, too, because he just works so fucking well with Takia Nomura. Like, I just, I really liked those two in particular, um Takia encouraging Kento with the clap but like he's had a very contentious time with that clap and nailing like the pattern of it so like he's he's a mess but it's, it's good it's all good stuff um Kento was so shrill too and screaming his name during this match um it was like the loudest Kento match which is yeah. saying quite a lot I know like if you were to rank these though this was the loudest Kento match of the tour um <laughs> my god but no this was this was actually a very um a very good very enjoyable match and it's just really fun as we've been touching on to see like like Kento work off of Anzai and like how cool that's going to be to see that relationship develop because um I think Kento does work with these guys in the dojo actually a fair amount. And it's just going to be nice to see how that develops between them. But yeah, it's just like, there's so many singles matches and like other tags I'd want to see based off of this match alone. Day six holds on the 27th at Fujisawa. This show was in Swan's hometown and it was set up in an open air fruit and vegetable market. First up, we had Kento Miyahara and Takuya Nomura. They defeated Jake Lee and Yuma Aoyagi in 27 minutes. I was going to say it's not very often you see the triple grand champion in the first match, but I remember Suama faced off against Inoue in match one in August. So it hasn't been that long, but it's still rare to see the triple grand champion in the opening match. I enjoy this. Kento facing Yuma really made me miss their tag team. You know me, you know, I was such a fan of the Kento Yuma tag team. Yuma crying into the referee shirt because the audience were cheering for Namora instead of him was great. I love these four, but I didn't love the match. I thought it was great, but I think it went on for too long. I don't know. Maybe I'm in the minority here, but I didn't really enjoy it as much as I thought it would. 
That's interesting that you say that, Jesse, because <laughs> I had the same feeling. I watched it on, on delay and I had seen everybody else reacting to it and like really like considering this like probably the best match of the tour at that point. And then I watched it expecting to feel probably fairly similar because why wouldn't I with these two teams? But I actually like, I don't even know if I liked it as much as I liked like Gunier of Anarchy and Jake and Yuma, which is, which is interesting for me. And I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's because of the length. I don't know if it's because of the way the match was filmed as much as I really enjoyed the concept of us being in an open air vegetable market. I don't know if I liked the way that show was shot necessarily. So I don't know if I would have enjoyed it if it was in a different venue. I did think those children with the vegetable basket dealing with Kento are braver than I, because he (laughs) makes everything a bit. So that turns into a much longer segment than like you would ever need it to be. So there is that. I did think it was good. I think it's easily one of the highlights of the tournament, but Again, like it's weird that the highlight of the tournament is coming on show six. That's kind of wild, right? Um, so there's that. I do think that Kento and Jake in this were actually very good and they their interactions together really added something to this, which was nice. Mia Ken and Takia, like their relationship, like they were so interesting when they won and like they're trying to hug each other, but it's like a little bit chaotic because like their bodies are everywhere and like they don't know, like they're just a mess the evolution of those two is really funny because they're becoming more cohesive at this point and how they work together. And yet they're still so chaotic and like, they're still just missing each other. Like even on something like trying to hug each other after they've gotten the win. And like, it's just very endearing. And like, I knew I was going to really like this partnership, but I'm just, um, the way that their relationship has sort of played out to this point, I was sort of surprised by, because I thought that and this is perhaps because I really don't, I don't watch uh, Takuya Nomura anywhere but All Japan. So I don't know his personality when he's back in BJW or something like that. But it's just been interesting to watch this unravel. And I thought that they were um, just very endearing. So yeah, a good match, just not as great for me as I expected it to be based on everyone else's reactions before I got to watch it. But perhaps I need to watch it again or something. I don't know. So in a shocking plot twist, I'm actually in the minority um, on this chat. And I love this match. It, it was my favorite um, of the tour so far. It did not stay that way, but it, it was um, absolutely my favorite. I thought it was really interesting. I was very excited to get this to this match. And I didn't actually know the card. I didn't know that it was the opening. So um, the second I heard Kento's theme, I like literally gasped. I was, I was very I was like, oh, yeah, it, it was... Um, it was great. I mean, I thought it had everything that I was looking for. I liked um, Takia and Yuma's um, exchanges a lot. I thought that they were really, really fun together and really good. And of course, yeah, Jake and Kento are perfect. So I have nothing really bad to say and nothing really that I can add other than I thought this match was worth the hype and um, everything everyone said on Twitter um, that it was, it was very, very tense and had a lot of really good, huge spots. Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi defeated Riki Honda and Masao Inoue in 10 minutes and 26 seconds. So with Ashino's injury, every opponent that he and Riki Honda were supposed to face, they get two points because Honda and Ashino unfortunately had to forfeit. So Honda had partners filling for Ashino, but they weren't tag team partners. Like sometimes if a person gets injured, someone will replace them, but no one replaced Ashino. 
Dan Tamara and Shin Ichiba Ichi defeated Ryu Inui and Black Menso Rei in 10 minutes and 36 seconds. And Ichi was Hikaru Sato, correct? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was in Sato. a mask. Yeah. <laughs> All Asia Tag Team title match was next. Yusuke Kodama and Masao Hanabata defeated Tajiri and Yoshitatsu to become the new All Asia Champions in 10 and a half minutes. Thank goodness. <laughs> Atsuki Oyagi defeated Hokuto Mori in 9 minutes and 26 seconds. And this is Atsuki's first ever singles win over Hokuto. He's never won before. I think it was like 16 and 0. And poor Hokuto's losing streak continues. I thought they might have him win to keep Atsuki's first win over him in a title match. But that didn't happen. Um, Amori trying to get this match over in the first couple of seconds. I really liked. He went straight for like a cutter, I think. Tried to get the pin. That was good. But these two work well together. I love that going into this one, a lot of All Japan fans in Japan on Twitter were posting like really old photos of the two of them together from like their dojo days and like old meet and greet photos with them where they're just like so young, like little babies. That stuff was really cute. People were really looking forward to this because of their connection together because they came up in the dojo together. So I think that added to the experience of this. But yeah, this was... Uh, I think quite good. Um, again, having that like played up angle of them having come up in the dojo together, I think added to the, you know, to, to, to the match in that way. I definitely would not have predicted Hakuto to be at zero points at this stage of Junior Battle of Glory. It gave me a lot to think about of like where they're going to take him going into 2023 because um, we were getting towards the end here and he hadn't racked up a win. Um, but yeah, there were some good spots in this. Like he had like, I think Jesse was alluding to a pop-up RKO or however you want to call that a cutter. And it looks, um, it looked pretty damn cool actually. So yeah, Hakuto, despite, you know, the losing streak, he still looked good in this tournament. And he still had some good moments. So there is always that. June Saito and Rei Saito defeated Suji Ishikawa and Cyrus in 13 minutes and 46 seconds. And you know what? I'm going to be positive here. I actually thought this was a pretty good match and probably the best uh, match these two have had in the tournament. There was no weapons and very little outside brawlings. And these two teams were like very suited for each other. They're very similar in the way they wrestle. And they're just running at each other, throwing lariats, trying to figure out who's the strongest. I was surprised by it and also happy with it. In the main event, Suama, Taru and Kono defeated Yuji Nagata, Yuma Anzai and Takao Omori in 18 minutes and 24 seconds. Day 7 was on the 4th of December at Eden Arena Osaka. Ryzen Haito defeated Ryo Inoue in 5 minutes and 28 seconds. I thought this was another great junior match like all the rest. I just want more of these. These two both had a fantastic tournament and have shown real promise for the future of the junior division. Yeah, just a really, really, really good match. Yeah, like, I love it's like one. boring analysis, but like there's just not a ton for me to add other than that. It was really good. It's really cool that Inoue was so over in this match. He was more over than Hayato, who has been like one of the most over guys on the tours over the last couple of weeks. So it really says so much about how these crowds already view Inoue with him being just in his rookie stage. He's not even out of his first year of wrestling yet. Yeah, when this match first started, um, and we started off with a little bit of a Hayato control segment, the crowd was really not there, and I was really disappointed. I was like, oh, don't tell me this show is going to have a lame crowd. 
Um, I was, I, I thought that they would just have a, like a dead crowd, which happens, you know, sometimes wrestling is wrestling, but no, as soon as, uh, in a way started to get some offense in, they lit up and it just became clear that they really wanted everybody to know exactly who they were rooting for and, and use the, use their claps, uh, sparingly for that. And, and they, they got loud, they got very loud, um, throughout this whole show, they got, um, very very uh into this so my fears were quelled it just happens that in a way is insanely over which as alicia said is quite a feat against rising hayato who is also insanely over um and and yeah the match was great i liked like the ending it was you know it, it was pretty much everything you expected really good hard hits really um great offense from hayato and and then it ended and it was good it was just a nice tasty little treat to open up with Hikari Sato defeated Hokuto Amore in 9 minutes and 56 seconds. And poor Amore had a hard time with this tournament ending with zero wins. He tried so hard to hold on in this match. I think it ended by referee stoppage. And he, if Wada just waited four more seconds before he stopped this match, Amore would have got one point. And quickly, I do want to mention that this is actually the second time this year that we had someone get zero points in a tournament with the first being Ricky Honda in Champion Carnival. He did not get one single win then. But that turned out all right for him in the end. Hmm. <laughs> he, he ended up getting, uh, and that's that's something that I want to note, is that, you know, it turned out all right for him. And a lot of times going zero doesn't actually mean anything. And um, it just gives them room to climb and gives them a storyline to work with. And that's what I felt here. This was one, and this is the big evidence that I really did not pay attention to points in this tournament. Um, we'll talk about that in the next match, but I did not actually know that I, I didn't, I didn't register until, um, you see Hokuto's reaction at the end. And then the commentary mentions it and I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and it felt very compelling to me and it made me very, very curious to see where we're going with Hokuto and, um, where, where he's going to end up in this division. And I think, you know, I, I obviously want Hayato to take the belt off Otsuki, but I think, um, Hokuto would also be a very, very compelling option if we work our way up and, and see him claw his way up to the top would also be really fantastic. And that's what I felt watching this match as well against uh, the veteran. Yeah, to your point, I think that he's just sort of, he did move from to the end of Total Eclipse to this sort of main unit, which was for a while built around Jake. We're going to go over this stuff in a little bit, but Jake's leaving. And Hakato Mori is, you know, he's very known for his relationship with Jake. However, now that we know he is staying, he is in a position where, you know, coming off of zero points in this tournament, he can have, he can be anything he wants to be. He can have a complete and total character refresh. And, you know, he's going to have to sort of, I think, take the training wheels off, so to speak, and show who he is going to be in 2023 and and maybe what the main unit is going to be to him it'll be interesting to see what that looks like without his relationship to jake so i think there's a lot of opportunity for hakato amori as we close this year and move into a new one Eski Oyagi defeated dan tamara in nine minutes and 29 seconds i absolutely love this it's one of my favorite junior matches of the whole tournament dan has just gone up a couple of levels in this tournament and looks like a real contender Aski, of course, is great, but I think this tournament really highlighted Dan. These two will meet again in the final of the Junior Battle of Glory. I'm not sure why they decided to have two Dan and Aski matches back-to-back, 
but it's what we get and that match won't be restricted by a 10 minute time limit I'm going to come across like a big hypocrite too when we talk about the finals of real world tag league but um I think that in general though I've been pretty consistent over the years about how I feel about champions being in tournaments and this (laughs) Rachel (laughs) oh oh, you have no idea my dear (laughs) listeners every time we get even close to a champion getting in the finals (laughs) she just has to message me like I can't stand this I hate this he can't he can't make the finals it doesn't even matter who it is (laughs) um not a hypocrite about it she's never been a hypocrite about it (laughs) I just don't love uh I don't like champions holding multiple belts. Usually (laughs) I have like very specific things that I hate in wrestling. I guess I hate ref interference champions holding multiple titles hostage and champions in tournaments. (laughs) I don't know why. Let's make a top 10 list or top five list of things that you hate for the end of your episode. (laughs) (laughs) That's actually easier than me doing any of the year end things that I've been tasked to do. So I don't love champions and tournaments. I think that when they win, it's usually incredibly boring. And I don't, I just don't, I just don't enjoy it. I don't personally see the point of it, but, and again, like it just, it's, it's weird that we had to see this match run twice because of the way that they, they booked it. Could they have done it a different way? Maybe I'm not really an expert in tournament math, but I'm assuming that this could have been done differently to get you to the same outcome, which is having Dan, and Otsuki in the finals, if that's what you wanted. But Otsuki is not necessarily who I would have pegged for the finals. But however, it does make sense Otsuki would get in in this year, right? If you're kind of framing him as the rising junior ace and you're sort of resetting this division around him and making him a very powerful figure for the All Japan Juniors, it makes sense. It's not illogical. It's just not my favorite thing in wrestling and I think it's weirder that they had to run the match back twice it doesn't maybe it works for other people I guess I'd be interested in hearing some other opinions about if that worked for people having the match run back twice but this match was a very very good match definitely um one of the better matches of the tournament and uh like Jesse said it's it's just it's hard not to echo the sentiment that Dan's stock has risen so much with this tournament he feels like the most complete package he's ever felt. Um, and it just has been, um, you know, remarkable to watch his progress throughout this year and how much better he's gotten over a pretty you know short period of time, but to watch his progress in this tournament, I mean, he just feels so much more sure of himself and so much more confident and his, everything he does in the ring looks so much better. And it's just nice to have gotten to this point with Dan. Yeah, I think you said it. Um, I, I, echoed everything or I echo everything you say like we we talked about this beforehand I had a lot of uh, opinions about uh, the booking situation going on here but I thought the match itself was was fine it was good I also did not know that uh, Dan had not lost yet so I actually think maybe if I go back and rewatch this match with the knowledge the storyline is Dan's trying to get a completely undefeated streak maybe that might add something to me um so i that is on my note of things to rewatch short enough that i might as well just go and, and pop that on um so i think that's that's compelling in its own way i'm not exactly sure why we had to do back-to-backs i think it's just sort of a um a flaw of the booking i really don't think they may have like thought that out it it was fine though i thought the match itself was really good 
And um, it, the idea of seeing this match again right after didn't, you know, make me upset. It just sort of perplexed me. Izanagi, Black Manso Ray, Oji Shiba, and Andy Wu defeated Takao Mori, Tajiri, Yoshitatsu, Nerki Tanzaki in 8 minutes and 38 seconds. Jun Sato and Ray Sato defeated Ricky Honda and Bodyguard in 10 minutes and 46 seconds. And I love that the Bodyguard wears sunglasses because he matched Honda. <laughs> Jake Lee and Yuma Ayagi defeated Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai in 13 minutes and 10 seconds. Jake and Nagata beating the crap out of each other for the entire match. I loved. What I didn't love was Jake bringing his evil laugh back. But I thought the whole match was great. I really enjoyed it. Jake looked very smug. And the two Yumas facing off was great. And once again, I need more singles matches between these four. I just thought Jake and Nagata. Now maybe where Jake's heading, he might have a better chance of facing Nagata one-on-one. But I need that one-on-one match. I didn't even check the laugh in this, to be honest with you, but it was there. <laughs> yeah, I believe you. Yeah. I did think that this match was pretty good. Anzai did a really, really nice job throughout. I specifically noted like, where was this Jake and Yuma the first half of the tournament? Cause I actually thought this was a very strong match for them as well, but I would have liked to see this the entire way through the tournament and not in like their final matches of the tournament when it didn't really matter because at this point they weren't able to um, be contenders for the, uh, the the final, you know, prize, the, the you know, winning the, the whole tournament. Jake and Nagata facing off post-match had like a great energy to it, but it was just very interesting because, you know, everything makes sense today, again, on December 8th, but when, you know, he's facing off Nagata with this very specific energy and he's very aggressive, it looks fantastic, but it's a very different energy than doing ass-based humor with Yuma and the lads. We just had some issues, I think, with um, with tone <laughs> throughout <Yeah>. this tournament. <laughs> but you know, it is it is what it is. But I did think that he looked great facing off against Nagata, and certainly, I think that will pay off for him in uh, what he chooses to do next. Swama and Kono defeated Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi in fourteen minutes. Now, I don't condone this. I don't support this. But the lady giving Swama the finger is how I felt. I felt like I was her. And that was me towards this whole tournament of voodoo murder matches. Um, I'm going to second your notes. Yeah, I related really deeply to, like, she was the highlight of this match. She was the only thing I, like, really wrote down. It's like, oh, she was really cute. And she she had some really good uh, chemistry with Swama there. (laughs) It's a really good feud, really good storyline going on. And that's all I got because for the most part, I didn't watch it. Like I I was so out of, checked out of this match. In in defense of Suwama, the one thing that he is, um, has been quite good at during this show is the way that he interacts with the crowd. Suwama's a really good heel, you know? When he's not, wrestling like he's sleepwalking and he does the way the way that he interacts with the crowd that stuff is actually really effective and it's really good I think it's actually really hard to to do what he does as a heel with the crowd and be believable right and the crowd really enjoys like interacting with him like they're they're mad at him like it's not like it's like all like cute and like whatever like it's some of it is but like some of it's like they're mad at him because he's you know being the worst right now and I think that that is like it's just a good it's a good example of him being effective in this role. I just wish that the wrestling 
would be good enough to want me to keep him in this role at this point. Kenta Mihara and Takuya Namura defeated Sushi Ishikawa and Cyrus in 17 minutes and 36 seconds. These two teams worked really well together and it ended up being a very fun match. It was very much speed versus strength. And since we're almost getting to the end of the tournament, I was keeping an eye, like everybody else, on Kento and Nomura. And there was like hardly any miscommunication between these two, except for some moves that we'll get to with one of the questions. But I was honestly surprised of how well they worked together when looking back at the press conference when Nomura wanted absolutely nothing to do with Kento. They were just like such a great team. Like they've been teaming together for years. I really liked this one a lot. I did. This was a really good match. Um, I think Kento and Cyrus in particular have such a great chemistry. I think it's really hard for Kento to not work well with people. I mean, that's just kind of like Kento and his ability to just be who he is. But him and Cyrus just really click. And we kind of learned about that a little bit in our interview with Cyrus that we did a couple of weeks back, right? Cyrus also feels like he clicks really well with Kento. And you can feel that in this match. You know, they they just get along so well together. It's just really, really cool to have seen that. And Kento always works well coming off of um, Shuji. So it's nice to see some of that too. And, you know, Takia, and it's just so great to have him. And it's just like one of those things where we're going to talk about like all the fallout of, this tournament and like where we go from here with with Nomura I just want to keep him like no he can't go back to BJW because (laughs) I want to keep him um because he's such a great addition to this roster and in working with Kento and you know I I didn't think that there was going to be many tag team partners for me that would kind of rival other partners of Kento's that I've enjoyed him with but this relationship as Jesse alluded to um him and, and Takuya like it's been it's been really fun to watch this play out they work really, really well together. And um, as the tournament like sort of comes to a close, like they're working almost seamlessly together, except when they do like their comedy bit around like follow back, followed by like the much more serious follow through of the follow back. And like, that's like, that's, that's it though. But there's like a point to that. Right. And we'll talk more about that when we answer the question, but irregardless, like I just, um, this was a really good match. Um, and this worked super well for me. Yeah, this is, I think my favorite match of the tournament i think um it's either this one too it's either this one or the other the other one with these exact teams um but i i really think it probably is this one um and yeah you you said it all it's it's all about um kento and takia's fantastic like story and chemistry and how they've come together as a team and um cyrus and shuji just do a perfect job playing that foil to them of you know we also have come through this tournament and developed a um a tag team dynamic and now we're big and bad and ready to beat you down and they overcome with the power of friendship and it's it's just a very perfect classic little story somebody compared it to um a shonen sports manga and that's exactly how it feels to me and you get that especially in the finals match um the decider match and uh, it's it's just, it's so fun. It's fun to see uh, Kento sort of pop up and react to the uh, Kento claps, especially when Takia does them. It's just, I love this match so very much. So please seek it out. It is uh, not too long. It's under 20. So uh, no, no reason you can't go watch it. Day eight was on the 7th at Karkin Hall. 
Hikaru Sato and Ryu Inoue defeated Rising Hayato and Hokuto Mori in 7 minutes and 11 seconds. Suji Ishikawa and Cyrus defeated Ruki Honda and Izanagi in 5 minutes and 28 seconds. And because Honda and Ishino forfeit the rest of the tournament, Suji and Cyrus make 8 points and they head straight to the finals. The All-Asia Tag Team Time match was next. Takao Mori, Maso Inoue defeated Tajiri and Yoshitatsu, Yusuke Kadama and Maso Hanabara, Black Nancy Ray and ATM in 7 minutes and 7 seconds. I'm not happy with the belt being hot potatoed around so much lately. I don't like that at all. I do like seeing Amore with a belt. He looks good with a belt. It suits him. <laughs> I know that sounds weird, but it does. So after the match, uh, we get to hear um, none other than the lovely theme of Mr. Nozawa Rongai as he comes out and uh challenges for the title and of course it is immediately brought to attention that he has no partner and uh, he calls out uh, Kendo Kashin who also likes to yuck around in in Noah with him and uh, yeah they have made a tag challenge for the all Asia belts so um, yeah not only are we trading this belt around but we are now uh, having quite quite the challenge so what do you guys think about nothing good (laughs) um i'm not okay with evolution losing the belts and i'm also not okay with the gunier of anarchy team losing the belts so that we can hot potato it between these different teams of older guys and like i am a huge fan of old man wrestlers i don't think that like i can get around the fact that like that's my genre however and I agree with Jesse. Like, I, I like to Kawamori looked great holding the belt. Love it. Love it. Love him. However, none of the booking of this makes any sense. And like, like, I'm not like particularly that, you know, uh, seeing Nosawa didn't like make me like crazed in the way that I think it makes other people, but I don't see the point in this. I don't particularly want to see an Osawa Rangai and Kendo Kashin team take on to Kawamori and uh who won with him <laughs> oh so in a way um I just don't want to see it it's not interesting and it doesn't make those belts look very good and I think we could be using those belts for other purposes I don't know why we don't still have those belts on Gunier of Anarchy and um or on Evolution I really I really don't I think it's entirely pointless to be honest yeah seeing how this belt was traded a couple years ago compared to now, is actually kind of depressing. Up next, Jake Lee and Yuma Aoyagi defeated Koji Doi and Kuma Arashi in 14 minutes and 16 seconds. The longer this match went, I thought, okay, Kuma Doi aren't advancing to the finals, but this was good. Yuma and Kuma just have great chemistry and work well together, and they're really exciting in the ring. The German suplex followed by a bridge that Yuma hit on Kuma was so clean and so beautiful. After the match, Jake shook Kuma and Doi's hand, which led me to believe that they were leaving, but obviously I was wrong with that. Yeah, the the handshaking at the end makes uh, a lot more sense in context, right? But this was a pretty good match. Kuma and Doi had a really weird tournament, but not necessarily a bad tournament. You know, they're still a mm. good team. It's just that they get some of the, like, just messiest booking sometimes, and they're just... <sighs> 
I, I don't know. We've talked about this at the kind of the announcement of the blocks and like what this what might look like for them and like what they would be able to do. I don't know where the company is going to ever really prioritize them. I don't know. And it's a shame because they work well with other teams. And I still think that there's some great chemistry between Puma and Kento in particular that is sort of left unexplored and should be explored one day. It's just a shame that the company doesn't appear to want to prioritize them in the way that maybe other people would want them to be prioritized. But it was a good match. I thought that Shuji clapping to Yuma's theme song at the end on commentary was absolutely the best part of it, though. That really sent me. Yeah, I loved really it. Good. Yeah, I actually thought this match was sweet, um, even without the context that we have now. I, I saw it as sort of a um, goodbye to Total Eclipse that... Um, yeah, Kumadoi had a very nice little like moment with Jake and, and they sort of teased the deep or sea kind of thing. And it it was cute. Um, I just I felt like they were sort of um, saying goodbye to Total Eclipse was what I felt like. It, it felt like they were putting it to rest and it felt very cathartic for me. And so um, that the whole match felt that way. And then you get the little handshake at the end and I was sort of clutching my heart. And now um, that we know what we know now, I'm clutching my heart and tearing up a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I thought the match was very sweet. I thought it was lovely and I, I thought it was a good match overall. Yuji Nagata and Yuma Anzai defeated Suwama and Kono in 12 minutes and 46 seconds. And Yuma Anzai is my new favorite Yuma. He just is 15 oh. match. He gets his first win and it's not just some random person. It's Suwama, the bloody ace the uh, tag team champion, like the person who's held the triple crown belts the most. And he looked absolutely over the moon with his win. And if somehow you don't think this kid is the soon to be ace, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Also, this match was pretty good for Voodoo Murder's match. Well, that's the whole thing. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't Suwama <laughs> and Kono have just wrestled like this the whole time the and whole not just time. the one time? Mind-blowing. Absolutely so mind-blowing. I was actually really angry that I liked this match as much as I did because it meant that we could have had this match the entire time and we didn't. And they only turned it on to put this uh, young ace over, which was great. But like we could have had so much more from this team, which is our champion team. That's the thing is that they are our champions. That's the huge problem with the way that they are wrestling. I mean, there are, there are several problems, but my biggest problem is that they are champions and now we can see that they can be heel champions really, really well, which we always figured because Suwam is great at his job, but yeah, that's, those are my frustrations and I know Alicia echoes them, but oh, I was livid. <laughs> this was a great moment for Anzai though. And I do yeah. want to say this because I think that like in the aftermath of Jake leaving people, I saw some people like making comments about like how this was like Anzai got to have this moment specifically because Jake was leaving, which mm -hmm. was weird because there's also a lot of people like acting like Jake leaving isn't a big deal. And it's like, which one do you want? Which one is it? Is it Jake leaving is not a big deal or Jake leaving is such a big deal that Anzai got to pin Suwama? Which narrative are we choosing today? But I think that this was always going to happen because Anzai has been set up as the super rookie from the moment that he started like really performing. And at this point, if they could resurrect certain people to put Anzai over him, over them rather in like 
his trials, they would do it. Like, this is what they're signaling. They are trying to show you how serious they are about him. And they are going to strap those rockets to him and like really set his career on fire from here. Like they are signaling to you just how serious they are with him, with him pinning Suwama here. And I, I, I am not convinced this wouldn't have happened if Jake wasn't leaving. I don't think that those two things are related. I think this would have happened even if Jake wasn't leaving. And again, I think that there are people on Twitter who just can't pick a narrative at this point. Yeah, I think the way that this tournament was structured point-wise, we actually, in our group chat, uh, Jesse immediately said, come on, super rookie Anzai, pin Sawama and save us all. Yeah, (laughs) and save us all is exactly what you said. And um, you you predicted it and you didn't predict it out of thin air. You predicted it because they were sort of leading up to this. They were the last match for the champion team for a reason. They, you know, they planned this from the beginning. And um, I think people need to sort of look in and, and decide whether they were surprised when this happened, not knowing that that Jake was going to leave. Like, did you did you think this was surprising or did you think this was exciting? And I thought it was exciting, but not necessarily out of thin air or weird or or a weird booking choice. So I think that's sort of where where I'm at. Kento Mihara and Takuya Namara defeated June Saito and Ray Saito in 12 minutes. Taru finally gets a taste of his own medicine with Kento throwing the powder in his face. And there are some great fan photos on Twitter of that moment. The ending is a referee's decision with Nomura choking June out. It was fine. Kento and Nomura now move to the finals. I thought this was a better June and Ray match. I didn't hate it, even if like I'm just so damn done with Taru and with, um, unfortunately, by extension, the Saito brothers by this point. But yeah, got through it. We did. You survived the entire voodoo murdering. Um, (laughs) At this point, we have now officially made it to the other side of the voodoo murdering. Um, I I liked it. I liked the pop at the end when uh, Kento turned, turned the tides. I like that a lot of the finishes towards the ending here with uh, Mia Kento Takia were very, um, you know, obviously one person is getting the the pin or getting the victory, but they are um, working together. And these these finishers are because of each other. You see that in the um, first um, Cyrus Shuji match as well, that, you know, they're, they're setting up each other for these victories. And by turning around the powder, you're setting up Takia. And um, it it's, feels like a tag team story. It doesn't feel like they're trying to put over one over the other. It feels like they're very focused on them as a dynamic, as a tag team. And that was very um, satisfying. And it felt like what this tag league really, really needed. So I like the finish. That was probably my favorite part of the match. The rest of the match was just kind of there. Askel Yagi defeated Dan Tamara in 17 minutes to win the Junior Battle of Glory. For this match, there was a little video package, but it was just about their um, Junior Battle of Glory path. But these two have history together that they could have shown instead. They debuted on the same day. They debuted together actually in the Tags team match. And they won their first belts on the same night. I feel like they could have showed that. Also mentioned that Hayato is out on commentary. So he was like watching over this match. I like that. And I will be honest, for some reason, I could not get into this match. I thought their previous match was a lot better. I'm not sure why. I mean, this was good, but something about it just wasn't grabbing me. Do you think it's because you were comparing the two matches? Yeah, probably because it happened like back to back. Yeah. 
And I'm beginning to notice that sort of trend that we have going on um, in this tour is that we have a lot of similar things happening or like similar repeat matches happening and you can't help but compare them. And that sort of uh, takes the steam out of one thing, such as like the comedy stuff between um, Sukito Supan and, and Mia Kento Takia. Um, but I felt sort of the same is that I found myself comparing them quite a lot during during this match. Yeah, I think I feel pretty similar. I thought it wasn't um, a bad match at all. I do think I preferred the first one. I don't, and this just speaks to what we're saying. I don't love that they did, that they ran these back to back. I don't, I don't know why they did that. I don't think that had to happen. I think there was a better path to getting to this final. Mm -hmm. If you needed to have, again, Atsuki as the champion in the final and then winning it, and that's fine. I understand, I think, why they had Atsuki win. And I think that Atsuki's choice of challenger actually makes this a little better for me because it makes sense. And we talked about this match before this tournament even began as something that we wanted to see, just not as Atsuki being the one making the match. So, Jesse, do you want to talk about what Atsuki ends up doing? So Aski calls out his new challenger and he calls out the man who defeated him on day one, Hikaru Sato. And that match is made for January next year. These two have had some interesting results this year together. And defeating Aski at the beginning of this year is what led Sato to becoming champion at the outset, right? Yeah. And they have sort of been on this careening path together and I would recommend too that you also read Jesse's article for Monthly Puro magazine mm. because Jesse touches on a little bit of this in that article as well her article on Asuki Ayagi and his rise to junior ace so I recommend looking at that whether you buy the print copy or digital copy please make sure that you do that and read the article but these two have some sort of destiny together and it's important to have them in front of each other I think ultimately it's important that Atsuki be the one to defeat Sato here as the champion because this stage of his reign he's still new to the belt and if we're establishing Atsuki as the junior ace I think he has to go over someone like Sato who has such history in this junior division it's just I think critical that Atsuki keep racking up these wins and Sato is you know an important piece of that so I think that that will be very interesting and I think that this this is the thing that saves it for me Atsuki being the one that won the whole fucking tournament. Um, <laughs> I think that him calling out Sato and again, just reaffirming what we've been talking about all year about these two being important to each other, that saves it for me and makes me a little bit less frustrated with a champion winning a tournament. That's just me though. But I, I am happy with him doing that. I think it is important. Yeah, you caught me. That's exactly what I was going to ask you was your opinions on the champion winning, but uh, you answered that and you answered it beautifully. So. I feel the exact same way. I'm very, very excited for that match and excited to see how the story continues. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely put a pin on that one because I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say come January. I just want to say one more thing yeah. <laughs> because I just love Asuki. Like I've been doing a lot of research on him for the article, but Asuki got his first championship match by pinning Sato. Mm -hmm. And this was still when he was in his like rookie blue trunks and rookie blue boots and yeah that was his first big win and that's when he first hit the firebird splash so they're like really important to each other 
Yeah, thank you for pointing that out. And again, please check out that article because it is uh, very insightful and, and gives a lot of, there's a lot of love uh, towards OSCE in it. And it's it's just a really, really good piece. Yeah, that's a good connection to make. So thank you. Kento Mihara and Takuya Nomura defeated Suji Ishikawa and Saris in 20 minutes and 37 seconds to win Tag League 2022. I thought this match absolutely rocked. I loved it. For me, it was the best match of Tag League. All four men were on their A game, even though they already wrestled earlier in the show. Suji and Nomura's elbow exchanges were brutal, and I need more of it. Cyrus's double choke slam was cool, and Kento was just being Kento. <laughs> they were all great. The last couple minutes were fantastic, I thought. Yeah, like I said, this was a very close second for my favorite match of the tournament, which was also between these two teams. So you definitely want to check out both if you can. Yeah, I thought this was really good. There there was one bit where Cyrus um, missed a moon, moonsault and landed kind of scary. So that deducted points because I was very nervous um, for Cyrus, who is a lovely guy. We had a wonderful interview with him that you guys will definitely want to check out if you haven't already. But uh, he seems to be okay. So that was good. But otherwise, yeah, this match was almost flawless. I really loved it. I thought it was super, super fun. There were a lot of really great moments, really dramatic moments with Takia, like slapping the, starting the Kento chant while slapping the mat and then uh, Kento like coming to, and it was, it had this um, climactic feeling that you really want from a tag league final. Just like I said, it's, it's just raw sports anime that you could almost hear like the anime music going on in the background while these two sort of figure out their dynamic and and really come to and and finish off very strong. So I, I thought it was just a wonderful match. Yeah, after those comments, I don't have too much to add in terms of the match itself. It's easily one of the best of the tournament. It's worth checking out to be sure. The right team won because in my opinion, mm-hmm. the team that, and this is not necessarily fair to say about like a team like Shuji and Cyrus, who I think performed you know, consistently throughout. Um, Anzai and Nagata certainly performed consistently throughout, but I think that the one team that showed up and really felt like a real, real world tag league throughout to the standard that I keep for this, this tournament, at least every year was Kento and Nomura. And that's why I feel that they were the right team to win and they deserve to win because otherwise there was something about this tournament. The vibe was off. This was not a tournament like we've had in past years. I was incredibly disappointed with it. Overall, I think the booking was lackluster. The way they used those two VDM teams against mm-hmm. all the other teams was atrocious. There was just something extremely off about this tournament. Did it have to do with the news that we got pers- you know, immediately following the tournament? Maybe perhaps, but there is something overall about the structure and the booking of the tournament, perhaps um, entirely because of the way they used the both, both Voodoo Murders teams that made this just such a slog to get through in a way that all Japan doesn't feel like for me normally. And again, I, I usually look forward to this tournament all year. So yeah, overall a disappointing outing, but seeing Kento and, um, Taki Nomura get to the end and be the winners, even though that wasn't necessarily my, they would have been like my number two pick if it wasn't going to be Jake and Yumas, to be fair. But seeing them get to the end and get the nod and we didn't end up with like, you know, the Saito brothers winning or something. (laughs) That's at least the sort of good news to take away from it. But I don't know if you two feel 
any differently, but this was just, um, again, like, a, you know, I don't like, uh, it's just disappointing for me. Like I, I, I love this tournament and I love this time of year for all Japan, but this did not feel like a real, real world tag league tournament for me. Just, there was something off with the vibe this year. And I could feel it throughout the tournament. Very disappointed. I a hundred percent agree with that. It might have to do with the juniors just outshining the heavyweights like every single day, but it might just have to do with booty murders, just ruining the tag league. Yeah, but like um, you said, Alicia, something was off, like the vibe was off and I can't pinpoint it, but there are reasons you could look to. Yeah, I actually, um, I do agree. This is, this is technically my first full real world tag league. I watched, um, watched a good portion of um, last year's. I wasn't quite to watching um, AJPW religiously. But I watched a lot of matches on Alicia's recommendation last year and really, really enjoyed them. So I can't speak for the whole vibe, but I do remember a lot of the matches that I watched from last year. And I'm not sure how many of these matches I'm going to remember next year, if that makes sense. So I think there was a lot more memorable stuff that happened in uh, last year's real world tag league. So I, I will defer to you guys, but I, I think I do agree. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head in that it was a largely forgettable yeah. tournament. And that hurts to say, it really does hurt to say, because I expect so much more from this tournament and from this promotion in general, which to me has the best tag wrestling in Japan. Um, and we talked about, what did we talk about all year? How good the tag wrestling was, right? Yeah. Not just the um, All Japan House Show Six Mans, but just tag wrestling in general has been so good. And we kind of got hit with the voodoo murder stuff, Ashino's injury, obviously, I think threw a wrench in maybe some of their booking plans for this tournament yes. too. We're not going to know exactly what would have happened based off of that. We don't know how far Gunier of Anarchy would have gotten or if the outcome has changed because of that injury but I think it certainly does play a role and I think even more than that Ashino pinned uh well he submitted Suwama and did he submit or pin Kento I guess it doesn't really matter either way he is in line for a triple crown title shot so there's been a delay to that obviously while he's been um recuperating so just all of these things that sort of add up to make this just a very you know disappointing and flat year certainly so like we said at the start of the show yesterday, there was an announcement that Jake Lee, Tajiri and Izanagi would be leaving All Japan. Izanagi has his last match on the 21st and Jake and Tajiri will have their last match on the 25th. So obviously one of the things we've talked about this year has been Jake's desire to work with New Japan. I think we expected this to be something where he doesn't leave. He stays in all Japan and perhaps goes to New Japan to do stints. He talked extensively about wanting to appear in the G1. There's a lot of, you know, back and forth about what exactly happened there, but he didn't end up appearing in the G1. This is something that played out in the press for several weeks, even after the G1 had concluded. Um, he was very disappointed that he was not selected to work with New Japan for that G1. This is obviously, and we don't necessarily know where he's headed yet, right? There's no confirmations of where he's headed. We're just, we're sort of assuming he'll end up with new japan but i would be surprised if he ended up anywhere else given everything he's talked about this year but that being said this is obviously very sad and very difficult 
Jake is, Jake's road through All Japan is very interesting. We've talked about this extensively in the past. He started out in All Japan and left because he was dealing with some personal things, got injured, was having a difficult time working through that injury, and then he left. But he realized when he was, you know, he was doing, I think, some chiropractor work and he was, you know, doing some mixed martial arts stuff. And then he realized that he would regret it for the rest of his life if he didn't come back. So he came back. I believe he came back in 2015. Since that point, he's become part of the fabric of this company, the modern era of All Japan. I think what his his leaving right now sort of signifies is the death of a dream in some ways, right? Mm-hmm. Because Next Dream 1.0 was built around Kento, Jake, Yuma, and Naya Nomura. And the four of them being the new pillar, so to speak, and leading this company forward in a post-Mudo era. And with Jake leaving, no matter what, there is no one that can replace him in that. So that is gone to us with him leaving. And I think we felt the same way with Naoya having left, but Naoya is not really gone, right? He flits in and out. So there's a different vibe there. But with Jake seemingly leaving and moving on, there's a different vibe there. And it certainly is very hard to process that at this point. And we don't necessarily know what the future will look like, but there is a sense that given how this year has played out for him and the comments he's made in the press about wanting to work with a company like New Japan, that there is some finality for now to this announcement. So there is certainly that. And, you know, I've seen some very interesting comments in the wake of this sort of announcement about Jake. And I've seen some really, some really lovely comments from people who are genuinely sad to see him go. And I've seen some really disparaging comments of people who seem to be trying to rewrite all Japan's history around Jake and to downplay the significance of him leaving here. But I want to remind people that he is a two-time triple crown champion. He's a two-time all Asia tag champion. He is a one-time world tag team champion and he is Kento's chosen rival. He is the only person Kento Miyahara has verbally stated is his rival. He has never said that about Yuma. He has never said that about Naoya Nomura. And I think people forget that or don't realize that or lose sight of that and things that Jake has had a role to play here. And Jake is important to so many people in this company. And there is a loss here. And to state otherwise, you can dislike him. You don't have to like his work. You don't have to think his wrestling is very good. And you can disagree with how he has talked in the press this year. But to downplay what he has brought to this company and what he brings to these different wrestlers and their relationships with each other is to try to rewrite history. And there will be an impact felt here. And he will be missed. And there are a lot of dreams not realized in him leaving now. So... With that being said, Jesse, do you want to talk about Jake? You're going to make me cry. <laughs> it was beautifully said. Thank you, Alicia. Yes. I got into all Japan because of Jake. He's been like my favorite until I discovered Yuma. I've got to say, to be honest, but he's always been like one of the, in the group of my core favorites. So to see him leaving, I didn't quite believe it. Like I had to reread it a couple of times. Like what? Like eight, like, he just competed in Tagli yesterday and now he's leaving. So it really hit me. It hit me hard, especially because 
you know, just like how much I, I guess, care for Jake and like just wanting to succeed and stuff. But then thinking about it, like these past couple months, he's kind of seemed like, I don't want to say disinterested, but I can't think of the word. He just seemed kind of like a bit checked out. He was still there, still before any match is great, but I just didn't feel like his whole heart was in it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that I'm I'm going to talk a little bit about that in, in a moment. But first, I would like to um, sort of not really shift it, but let's talk a little bit about some of these questions where Lewis um, asks what you think the impact of Jake leaving at the end of the year will be on the company. I alluded to this in talking about Kento specifically, but I think that that is, I mean... Kento is the most deliberate and detail-oriented performer, I think, in almost all of Parasu. And there is a reason why he has only acknowledged Jake as his rival. There is meaning in everything he says and everything he does, which is why it's really worth it to pay attention to what he says and what he does. And there is obviously going to be a void here, but where there are voids there is opportunity. And this is where, um, as, as sad as it is, and as hard as this is to imagine them moving forward without him, this creates opportunity for Yuma. And this speaks kind of beautifully to what Jesse was talking about earlier with Yuma always feeling like he's standing in somebody's shadow, which is how Jake, I think, felt for a very long time with Kendo. This creates opportunity for Yuma in a way that he has not had opportunity, right? This creates a more direct path to what Yuma, I think, is really seeking in terms of his position in the company. I don't know what the future is going to hold for Naoya Nomura. I don't know what his priorities are. I don't know what is going to happen with him, but I would hope that we, you know, he's booked for things moving forward. I hope that we see more of him. Um, I don't know if he'll come back full time. I don't know what that means for him, but where there is a void, there will be opportunity, but it is very significant that Kento has lost his only named rival. Jake has a lot of relationships with people like Hakuto Mori, and he's very close to some of these younger guys in the company. He's very close to Yuma. Like there's just a lot of people that I think that will be affected by his leaving, whether we see that in the ring or not, you know, but that, that void will certainly be felt in I think more ways than one, but I think that, you know, it's mystifying about seeing some people being a bit gleeful about a company like all Japan losing a main event star, whether you like him or not there is nothing to celebrate in this because this is a company that can't afford to lose someone on the level that Jake is that void needs to be filled. And that's what this is going to create is a void that needs to be filled. And yes, there's opportunity there, but that's never something to be particularly gleeful about because we aren't new Japan. We aren't even Noah and we're not DDT. DDT can survive with um, Takeshita going over to AEW, right. And not being on every single show over there because they have, a, a very extensive, extensive rather roster to fall back on. All Japan does not have that. What about you, Jesse? Do you see any impact that Alicia might have not covered, or uh, what are your opinions on uh, sort of that rival hole? Because that was really what I was thinking as well. Was that now we need sort of a rival for Kento? 
So I'm curious on your opinions there. Yeah, I just want to say the impact of Jake leaving is huge. Like he is the second most popular wrestler behind Kento. And now, like um, Alicia says, someone needs to fill that void. And Yuma is really the best choice. I mean, you do have um, Ashina there who could step in from now and then. You do have Anzai who seemed like he might be fast-tracked a little bit, like not straight into the main event scene. He might be getting more and more wins soon to come, but we don't know that yet. But we do know is that Yuma and Ashino have challenged for the belt. They are contenders. They are former belt holders. They know how to um, wrestle in the main event. They know how to put on a great main event. And they do have great chemistry with Kento. So I think those two would be stepping up. If I was running Old Japan, I would be pushing them <laughs> to step up as Kento's rival. Will he have another rival like Jake? Probably not. No. Kento's new rivalries are going to be so different to Jake's. And Jake's rivalry with Kento was so special, especially to me. Like, I just can't really put into words right now just how special that rivalry was to me. But it's going to take some time. And, of course, it's going to be felt come the new year when Jake's not standing there in the ring, like, with the rest of the All Japan crew in the tracksuit. But, you know, we'll get there in the end. But right now, it just hurts. To Jesse's point about Jake and Kento's rivalry, what I think you will wind up seeing over time is people retroactively going back and remembering just how great that rivalry was. And you'll see again, a lot of revisionist history there. It happens all the time. I can speak to this as someone who was a fan of two wrestlers where a lot of revisionist history happens all of the time. Um, You will see people go back and go, oh yeah, Kento and Jake actually had a phenomenal rivalry. And this was an incredible story that had layers to it. And you'll start to see it. It's just going to be slow, but we'll get there. And like Jesse said, like it's, but there will be such a difference. You will feel the difference because you cannot emulate and you cannot recreate what Kento and Jake have had. You can have other people step up and again, fill that void and create something different with Kento, something that is, is wonderful and something that will hopefully lead this company forward into the future, but you will never be able to recreate what Kento and Jake had. And people will remember that in due time. Yeah, and that's pretty much what I was going to get to as well, is that when you have a rivalry like that, it never really dies. Um, And it will, you know, they're they're both young wrestlers, more or less, and it will come back in different ways and people will remember it in all spheres, Um, not even just the revisionists, but people who have loved it the whole time will uh, keep keep the flame alive. And um, it will always remain very important. It will remain really important to both of them which I think is, it says a lot. It says a lot for that weight of the rivalry. And I do look forward to both of them sort of um, reaching for that and, and finding new rivalries, but while still sort of um, keeping the rivalry that has existed between them alive, I think there's a lot to keep out for, um, to look out for on social media as well, is always a, a good way to sort of keep that up to date. I don't think that we've seen the last of um, Jake and Kento. So um, that sort of does lead us beautifully into Avid's question, 
where um, he asks with Jake, Izanagi, and Tajiri leaving, what are some changes you're all expecting might happen? And we we have talked a little bit about that. Um, and then any big changes to current storylines and such, um, which I think is sort of what the, those changes are going to be, um, if anything. So I'd be curious what you guys think. I have some opinions there as well. But um, I definitely would be curious what you guys think are going to be the storyline implica implications. Well, I think with Tajiri, you know, he was responsible for some of the booking and then he was responsible for training a lot of the younger guys. And that was really um, a big part of his expertise. And I think where he was really probably most important. So I think that you will see a change in perhaps some of the booking patterns and things that are prioritized in the booking and the storylines because Tajiri has a certain way that he views pro wrestling and that has been reflected in what we've seen in his yeah. time in all Japan for certain so you will see that slowly I think change over time and I think where Tajiri's sort of absence will be felt the most will not be something that we can see it'll be felt backstage it'll be felt with the relationships with the wrestlers and also with the training of those younger wrestlers who have been working with him for a while now. So that is not something that is for us to see, but that I think is certainly where people will feel his absence the most. Um, but yeah, certainly with, with someone like Tajiri leaving, you will get, um, you know, whoever becomes the next head booker and starts to be make, starts to make all those new creative decisions. You will start to slowly see that person's view of wrestling and how those stories should be structured and created end up in the booking whether that happens abruptly or over time remains to be seen um we're not really sure who's going to be taking over that booking or if there's been um some people helping with the booking that have been kind of doing this the whole time that you know maybe we're not going to see that much of a change i'm not sure but certainly with someone like jake leaving you are going to see um a big shuffle of your, of your main event. We don't know what's going to end up happening with main army and Pontai, whatever you want to call them. That has been structured around Jake Lee so far. They came out to his theme music. Everything was structured around him. This is a great area of opportunity for Yuma who left next stream to form this, you know, substantially with Jake. This is a great area of opportunity for him. Does this become Yuma's group or does he form something else? So yeah, there's a lot to be said about these things um moving forward i think you're going to see a lot of shuffling of the main event and what that looks like and also the different players like jesse noted yuma is going to be a big player when ashino comes back from injury he becomes a big player i think honda as well i think is someone that is potentially um going to be a big player in the future so there's a lot to be said for all of that i think yeah i agree and um i you know we touched on that already we talked uh, in depth about that already um i do think it is good uh, in some ways that they gave Jake opportunities to wrap up a lot of things and do do a lot of things that he wanted to do this year. Um, we're not leaving with, we're, we're always going to be leaving with loose ends when somebody leaves like this. Um, and, and we touched on that beautifully with just the concept of rivalries. But having said that, it is really good that he was able to defeat Kento for the Triple Crown this year. I think that was very huge and very important for him. Alicia touched on that beautifully. Um, when he actually lost the triple crown to Suwama, uh, if you want to go back and listen to that. But even still, it is, um, I think it says a lot 
And I think it says a lot for Jake as a wrestler, uh, how important these stories are for him, how important tagging with Yuma was for him, um, being able to do all these things so that he didn't have any last regrets leaving the promotion, I think says a lot. So um, there are some things that are always going to have to be changed, um, leaving Jake, you know, Jake leaving. But I think that with the current storylines, they were sort of um, toning Jake down to the very current stuff um, to the point where if he leaves, um, he's not leaving any huge regrets for himself or for the promotion. And then Izanagi already was, you know, in the opening um, matches just sort of endlessly. So uh, there, there isn't a whole lot that needs to be changed there. And then, of course, Alicia spoke on Tajiri uh, perfectly. Jesse, do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I just want to speak about Izanagi for a second because I feel like oh, we yeah, absolutely. kind of push him to the side. <laughs> I, th- I think he was a good hand. You could really, like, slot him in anywhere. He held titles. He was the Gora TV champion. He was all Asia champion with Zeus and they had a good run together. He also held the junior title. So he's a good hand to have. You can just put him anywhere. You can put him against anyone. Like he has a win against Kento of all people. And I think he did well in all Japan. He is leaving to go to um, Osaka Pro with Zeus. I think when Zeus revitalized Osaka Pro, I had a feeling like Izanagi might make the jump there. He does work there now under the name Tiger's Mask. And at the press conference for it, they said, you know, there is a chance that Zeus and Izanagi could still appear in All Japan now and then, like Zeus does. So I don't think this is a school C of Izanagi. So coming up in December, we have two more shows to close out the year. The first show is the 21st at Shinkiba called AJPW Xmas Eve. This was added after the Shinkiba show in October. And the success of that show is most likely why this was added. And to finish off the year, we have a show that takes place on Christmas Day. Talking Triple Crown will also have our end of year episode with special guest Captain Lou. Keep an eye out on my Twitter account, Royal Road 72 as I will make a thread of all the matches for those two shows, including Izanagi, Tajiri, and Jake Lee's last match with the company. Moving on to the rest of the questions, Dark Whalebone says, Kanto and Amaro repeated the same spot. The double shin kicked fail in every match they had. What were your thoughts on repeating the same spots like that over and over? I love this question. Um, and I was curious what, if we were all going to answer sort of the same thing. I mean, signature spots are, are important in wrestling and seeing them develop this spot was a huge part of tag league. And it was really fun. It was uh, almost felt like a send up to what Taka and Satoshi are doing over in Noah. Um, but it had their own, it didn't feel like a copy. It had their own uh, style to it. So I love this in particular, but um, in general, as far as like repeating the same spots over and over, I think that it's absolutely crucial. I'm a huge match binger myself. I like to binge um, in a row, the same sort of matchups over and over so that I can compare them. And when I see those repeat spots, it gets me excited for the next match because then I can look for those spots and be like, oh, I wonder how they're going to do it next time. And I wonder how they're going to do this. And I wonder how they're going to counter this. I think it's one of the most rewarding things about wrestling, like bar none. And I think All Japan does it really, really well. Uh, So I would highly recommend you, um, you keep an eye on some of those repeat spots, not just in tournaments, but between singles matches of the same competitor or even tag matches. 
I agree with everything you said, Rachel. <laughs> okay. So we are all on the same page. Alicia, do you feel the same way? Yeah. I don't really know how to view it differently. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm like I, I didn't, I wasn't sure if we would have differing opinions on that. Like if, if people found them repetitive. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, to me, it's, it's essential. Deswari asks with the Shuna out injured, who do you think takes a baby face tag team spot? And wouldn't it be perfect for him to come back to the triple crown scene? AJPW, please. Correct. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, baby face tag teams. What do you, what do you guys think? Go. Namora and Kento. Yeah. <laughs> if they stay a tag yeah. team. Yeah. I mean, like they would need to stay one. And then Yuma is in a really good position to choose a very solid tag partner. And, you know, I have to think we're very close to him and Naoya reuniting Mm -hmm. their very popular tag team. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the date of that show, but it's around the Christmas holiday time for, I want to say capture. And I don't, you know, who knows what will come of that, but, and we don't know what Naoya's plans are. We still have no idea. (laughs) Like a year (laughs) on from his departure at this point and he's not quite gone away and we still don't really know what his plans are for the future but um my mind immediately leaps to that certainly that that reunion has been planned for a while but they did shake hands and do a little weird handshake bit even before (laughs) even before we knew what was going on with jake but now you have to think was that pointed because apparently the discussions around Jake leaving have been happening for a long time. This is not new news for everybody. This wasn't like it broke like, you know, a week ago and they found out Jake was leaving. They've all known for a while he's wanted to go. So you have to wonder if that's pointed and if that leads to something. But that I think would actually be rather good to see Yuma and Naoya reunite in that way and to bring Naoya back into the fold, hopefully full time. I think that's an area of great opportunity. I can't even at this point of this recording remember who wrestles for all japan but those are that's what i'm thinking (laughs) yeah that's a really good shout i actually didn't even think about that but you're totally right that there could be a little bit of foreshadowing that happened that we didn't quite catch at the time um so yeah i I think i'm gonna um i think i'm gonna steal your answer i'm gonna piggyback on you there (laughs) um and i do i do always want to see more mia kentotakia as well they're both phenomenal this where he also says, hit us up with some Jake Lee dream matches. The one on my mind right now, because we just talked about it, is Jake Lee and Yuji Nagata. They beat the crap out of each other. I just want to see them do it again. I think that Jake should immediately wrestle Kenta. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Um, You're actually right, yes. though. Like, as jokes aside, like, that, that is actually 100% correct. It would be a great match. It's a selfish wish, but he should. Also, I mean, I want to see him against everyone. Like there's like, as much as I don't really watch a ton of New Japan these days because it's frustrating. And I, it really like my New Japan world subscription is, is really like my Kenta world subscription. There's a lot of people I do want to see Jake against. I want to see him with Sonata. I want to see him go against Naito and Okada. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of great potential matchups here for Jake that I'm excited about. Yeah. I think, I think Okada is actually a, a big match for me. We talked about that actually, I think even as far back as our first interview with Jesse, actually, I think a year ago, oh, because yeah. we were anticipating oh, yeah. 
the the crossover events and I think I talked about we or rather we talked about that being um, a potential matchup of interest for all of us because it just makes some some sense actually so as as frustrating as it's all is and as sad as it's all is there's like a world of opportunity for Jake now so yeah I think um Jake Okada is something I'm very interested in seeing and how that would play out and what that match would look like I agree I really agree um I had Sonata down as my first choice um also Jake and Tanahashi since they've been sort of uh teasing that playing with that I want to see that singles match very badly um like to see actually Jake team against the team of um team with somebody I'm not totally sure yet it's still cooking in my mind um with uh, Minoru Suzuki and Lance Archer that team that they've got going um against Jake and somebody could be really really fun uh could be really cool I'd like to see him work with both of those wrestlers so those those were my main picks but like you said Jake could just work with anyone I think we could make some really good magic yeah, I was also thinking Jake versus Naito. That's because I want to see Naito versus like <laughs> nearly everybody in all Japan. Oh, yeah. But also outside of New Japan, I want to see him face Nakajima from Noah. I know we talked about it a couple episodes ago with Jake and Nakajima, but like it's still been on my mind. Like I think that would be really good. Yeah, there are a lot of fun, fun matches from all over Pearl that you could you could get. And I could definitely think of a few from Noah that I would like to see. Uh, but I think Nakajima would be a really, really cool one for him. The other thing too about Jake, and we've touched on this, I think a little bit here and there, and he's talked about it extensively on his Twitter, but he's at the, uh, seemingly at the close of his process through nationalizing right now, which will lead to him getting his passport. And that's been very important to him. He's also learning English. He's been talking about his journey this year in teaching himself English. And you have to imagine that through the opportunity of joining a company like New Japan, he gets the ability to go overseas for the very first time and be a part of maybe strong shows and get to fight people that appear on those types of shows. And I can't really think of anyone off the top of my head that Tom I would be Lowell. really... Yeah, that's good. Tom is That's good. the only one I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I like it. Let's Tom go is, with it. Tom is good. So yeah, so he gets yeah. to go over there for the first time and face people like that and um you know these are things that became very 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 important to him for a myriad of reasons and there's a lot of opportunity there for for Jake and it's you know it's exciting it is it's very exciting and ultimately we're really happy that he's he's making this leap if he goes to New Japan but I think we're sort of been nudged that direction so so but even still it's excited to see someone taking such big steps uh, forward to carving their own path into the future. That's always really exciting. So beautifully said, Alicia, especially with him <laughs> traveling overseas. I'm glad you pointed that out. Uh, one more I have is Jake versus anybody in Australia. So I get to see him wrestle. There they we always go. skip our country. <laughs> Let's <laughs> we go. go. Or oh, yeah. Like, Come here. We've got good wrestlers. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we love in, in America, we'd love to see him pop over for a strong show as well. So... <laughs> Um, for sure, something we would all make the trip for to see. Okay, and our last question is by Raphael, and they ask, who do you guys see signing full-time in January? The only person on my mind right now is Ren Ayale. I think Ren's a good shout, but I have to imagine that much like we saw last year when we had Zeus leave, Naoya, and Iwamoto 
there were people who signed because they had people leaving, I would be, I can't really say necessarily who I think is going to sign. I'm not really good at guessing business like that. And it's not stuff I care to weigh in about necessarily, but I would imagine that with people leaving and just the backstage shuffling that occurs when someone like a Tajiri figure leaves, there probably will be some signings happening, or at least some people who got stronger deals coming out of this. I mean, that's the only thing I can really hope for is that in the people that are staying, they got the deals that they wanted if they were able to negotiate that. I'd like to see the Goa juniors sign as well. Tachibana or Hanabara now and um, Kodama. Yeah, those are really good calls actually I didn't even think about them but those I think would be really good um, for like what Alicia was saying is that we see these people Mm. um, get strong deals and and sign would be really exciting Um, yeah I think we're probably going to revisit this question as we sort of get closer to January Um, what about Oji Shiba he's not signed right no no so I mean I could see him um, coming back a little more permanently Um, Renayabe was the first thought I had as well so we will see. Like I said, I think as, as things inch closer, we'll be thinking about it a little bit more. Thank you for listening and supporting Talking Triple Crown. You can find me on Twitter at Sister Jessie and at Royal Road 72. You can find me, Alicia, at Sharanui Kai with two eyes. You can find me and Rachel at Kickout299. And please do us a favor and rate this podcast five stars on your preferred podcast platform. And please follow us on your preferred podcast platform as well. We've been noticing an uptick in reviews and in subscriptions. um, And we really, really, really appreciate this. You guys have no idea how helpful this is to us. So please, if you like what you're hearing, if you appreciate the work that we're doing to give you guys this kind of content, please keep that up. We really do appreciate it. Yeah, I can't stress enough how exciting it's been, how you guys have just really been making this worthwhile and, and supporting us so much. And, you know, all of us are just really, 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 really grateful. Um, so yeah, that I can't recommend enough that you guys give us a rating, give us a review. We appreciate it a lot. And you can find me, uh, Rachel at Milky Star. That's M-I-I-K-Y star. Thank you once again, and look out for our end of the episode dropping in a couple of weeks.